0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of The Cartridge Club. If you are new to The Club, I'll quickly explain what we are. The Cartridge Club is a community of content creators and gamers of all generations. We interact on Twitter, play games together online, and chat it up on the forums at www.cartridgeclub.org. This bonus show is going to be all about Wolfenstein, the New Order, and will contain spoilers. You have been warned. Now, let's meet the panel. First up, from the YouTube channel formerly known as Burning Books, or might possibly still be known as Burning Books, but he doesn't talk about books anymore, a man whose future self is likely the oldest living member of the Cartridge Club, Mr. Caleb J. Ross.
1: Thanks for joining us, Caleb. Thank you very much. I like to say that the Burning Books Books name still carries forward because I'm Burning Books in favor of playing games, so that's how I do it. Um, Yeah. Ah,
0: okay. I like (laughs) it. I like it. Uh, so for anybody who uh, may be new to the show, because every episode is somebody's first episode, why don't you let them know uh, what exactly it is, Burning Books, and where they can find you.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm Caleb. I'm I'm my present Caleb, age is 34. Uh, I've been gaming since the NES. I used to be an author. Um, I have the university degree in the five books of fiction and the empty wallet to prove it. Uh, but now I spend my free time playing games and watching YouTube content about games and wishing I made games. And you can find me anywhere online. Uh, Caleb J. Ross, all letters, no spaces, Caleb, the letter J. Ross, um, Twitter, I'm most active, but, uh, YouTube is where I would like to be most active and where I would like for you guys to come, uh, Burning Books, Caleb J. Ross, search anyone, you'll find it.
0: If you are new to Caleb's channel and you have not yet seen his Hey Future Caleb series, it needs to be the, the first thing you do as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. So jot that down on your notepad or, uh, make yourself a voice memo, have Siri, uh, remind you, and then go and definitely check that out. Uh, You can't see, but I am blushing. (laughs) I can feel it. I can sense the blush. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of blushing, we have a man who makes my wallet blush up next. He he writes a weekly collector blog that has single-handedly stalled all host renovations that we have uh, planned for the future, thanks to his pretty statues and uh, custom (laughs) Ziploc bags from Japan. Uh, He is one of the founding members of the Cartridge Club, Mr. Dean Lasagna.
2: Thanks again for having me on, guys. Always great to be here.
0: Yes, Dean. So, again, this is a a first episode, first somebody. um, And I'm certain there's someone over there sitting around who's going, man, I have way too much money. What should I do with it? So why don't you let them know about uh, Merchandise Mondays?
2: Sure, yeah. Merchandise Mondays is a blog I put together every week on uh, Monday and I po- post it up on www.cartridgeclub.org and that's really where you can find me. Really, any social media at Round2Gaming or at uh, cartridgeclub.org administering the website or the forums maybe tossing in a few blogs and spreading the CC gospel as best I can.
0: Yeah, generally keeping uh, P1 and P2 in check that's on, on his actual <laughs> business card. <laughs> <laughs> Handler of the bros. Right. Um, Definitely read those blogs. There is some incredible, incredible figurines, statues uh, coming every week. I don't understand how it's—it's it's a whole new world to me. I didn't even know it existed. So, uh, I—well, uh, I'm broke. So, thanks. <laughs> and last, and certainly not least, we have one of the co-hosts of Media Mavens from the Cannot Be Tamed channel on YouTube, the Uber Nazi Killer, Pam.
3: Hello. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yes, Pam. Thank you for being here. Um, Uh, so other than uh, when you're not out killing Nazis and uh, generally trying to save Europe from their, their clutches what do you normally do
3: Uh, I normally talk about video games a whole lot. Uh, I have a channel called Cannot Be Tamed where I do retro reviews, vlogs. I do a lot of lists. I'm currently working on my top 100 games of all time, which was inspired by the CC100 list. Uh, I also am one of the hosts of the Media Mavens podcast where we talk about all kinds of media.
0: If if you are someone who listens to podcasts regularly, uh, and I suspect you might be if you were listening to this show, Media Mavens needs to be in your regular rotation. Uh, Pam and Riley are easily uh, among my, my favorite shows to listen to. Uh, I have a hierarchy of what shows, uh, you know, when I listen to shows. And there's some that are, you know, day one as soon as they're download, As soon as they are released, I I, get, I make sure that I get it in that day. And they are among the very few that fall under that category. So definitely check them out. And finally... Filling the role of co-host and moderator for this episode of the Cartridge Club, we have Death Incarnate himself, Mr. Musty Hobbit. Hello. Thank you for uh, having Musty. me here. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm not going to give you a chance to plug yourself because uh, you're about to talk a lot. Um, <laughs> so check him out on YouTube, uh, Musty Hobbit.
4: Oh, my dog is, has a squeak toy. And Musty's going to tell us what we're playing while I quickly mute. Yeah, so, uh, so for this CC Extra, we are playing uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, uh, released in 2014 uh, by Machine Games. And this is uh, Machine Games' uh, first title, uh, first big title that they produced uh, or developed, rather published by Bethesda Softworks. Uh, this uh, uh, Machine Games itself is based out of Sweden. Um, so a lot of these names I will butcher, potentially. Um, <laughs> directed by uh, Jens Mathies. Uh, produced by... Uh, say it like it's written. Come on. Uh, Jerk Augustafson <laughs> and Lars Johansson. Uh, the music, composed by Mick Gordon, um, who many will associate now with the soundtrack from Doom, which makes sense, uh, being another one of Bethesda's. Uh, we'll get into that later. And uh, Frederick Thorndahl designed by Frederick Lyund Dahl and Jerk Gustafsson. But Wolfenstein came out. It it was it was six months after the new console generation with the Xbox One and PS4. So it came out on those. It was also released on 360 and PS3 as well as the PC. Uh, Wolfenstein being uh, a long time long running series back to uh, the DOS. PC days, uh, is a first person shooter, um, and carried on that legacy. But, uh, this game itself, uh, I I know there are some of us who played this game prior to just recently. Um, and so I want to get impressions from, from everyone here, uh, to get your feel on, on what it is that, uh, that you dug about this. Uh, let's start, uh, Dean, let's start with you, uh, What's your take on your first impressions with Wolfenstein?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say this is really my my first foray into the Wolfenstein franchise at all. I remember playing it once briefly, Wolfenstein 3D at a friend's house when I was a kid. And that's really the last last time I played any of the entries. Uh, and I remember seeing the trailer from E3, I want to say, probably 13, 2013, 2013. Uh, and it was an awesome trailer. I remember being really excited and then really disappointed. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it it... It, the first three quarters of the trailer aren't gameplay footage. Really what it does is it sets up the premise of the game, and then the last little bit of the trailer is just gameplay. So it does it in a way that it takes sort of black and white, 1940 style footage, kind of like you're, you see in, in school, in history class, and it mixes this, this sense of, of familiarity. It shows you a bunch of familiar, iconic moments from World War II, but it sort of flips them on their side and, and skews the reality a little bit, and I think that's where a lot of the intrigue comes in. So, I, I remember it taking a lot of, and I'm not American, so maybe some of this patriotism is is lost on me. But I remember it taking a lot of these iconic patriotic images of, you know, the Washington D.C. Capitol building or the moon landing, and familiar World War II footage like uh, the bombing of Japan or Hitler's, you know, over the top speeches. And it, it skews reality in a way that I, I think it really made me think, uh, you know, what would happen if Nazis had had won the war? And that's where the intrigue came in. So instead of the the mushroom cloud that we would normally see over Nagasaki or Hiroshima, you know, the the image that we've seen time and time again, this time, you know, the Statue of Liberty in the forefront. And it's over New York City or, you know, the iconic American family, you know, 1940s, dad sitting on the couch, mom's in the kitchen and little Bobby Joe is playing with his car on the, on the ground this time you know, they're all sitting around the TV crying, watching, you know, the collapse of their country. You have the Capitol building still, but now it's Nazi banners the whole way down, or probably one of America's proudest moments the the moon landing, you know, instead of the star spangled banner and that, that astronaut dude, Buzz Aldrin or Neil Armstrong, whoever it was, you know, now it's, you know, a, a swastika flag and some Nazi doing the hail Hitler thing in front of it. So, you know, it, I think it really impacts the, the emotions, and I think that trailer did a really good job. But it's, it's not just about America. There was, uh, you know, the, the Eiffel Tower and the, the Nazi um, uh, Nazi occupation of, of Paris, or instead of the Beatles doing the Abbey Road cover from 69, you know, this iconic British rock band. Instead of John Paul, George, and Ringo, it's, it's Nazis. So, you know, I, I thought it was a really, really intriguing trailer. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a setting that I'm familiar with. You know, it's a setting I can relate to, World War II, but it, it's a story I haven't heard. Uh, I think that really captured me. And and at that point, I really wanted to play the game. But at the end of the trailer, it was just, you know, a bunch of first-person shooter junk. And that's nothing I wanted to be a part of. So I, I immediately uh, just disregarded it. Uh, and I think that stigma, if you want to call it a stigma, of being a, a genre that I don't generally enjoy has kind of stuck with me every time I thought of Wolfenstein I kind of got this bad taste in my mouth of this really isn't a game that I'd want to that I'd want to try out and even after watching the awesome new Colossus trailer from this past E3 it, it really didn't resonate with me that that it's a franchise I wanted to get into and it wasn't until watching P1 on his Twitch stream play through it and watching you know some of the collectibles like the Enigma codes and things we'll get into in the gameplay section that I that I really found I wanted to dive back into it because it looked more of maybe a story driven first person shooter, something like a, a Bioshock, for example. And that's a game I love. And and so tried it out for the first time as part of this uh, this little run through with you guys, and I absolutely loved it. It was a, a fantastic, fantastic game.
4: Excellent. And you and you went all the way to the platinum, right?
2: I did. I I try as best I can every chance I get to to get the platinum. So <laughs> I, I got it.
4: I'm quite, quite proud of you. That, that is quite an undertaking. So, uh, Pam, you would, you'd played it prior to this month. You played it recently, but, um, what was, what were your initial impressions of, of Wolfenstein, the new order?
3: Um, Initially, it was also the trailer that got me, although I don't think I saw the E3 trailer. I saw another one a little bit later that um, started off with a soccer match and uh, the ref goes and pulls out a yellow card on someone and then he just pulls at a Luger and shoots him in the head and it starts playing nowhere to run. Uh, and then it's more of a gameplay trailer than the other ones. So, uh, just the sort of whole tone of it, the music of it, and then the FPS action looked awesome. Um, I did play a little bit of Wolfenstein, like way, way back in the nineties. I remember having the, uh, the shareware version of, uh, Wolfenstein 3d. So, uh, I was really interested in the game, and then after it came out, some sort of critics that I trust, trusted uh, their taste uh, had really awesome things to say about it, so I played it not too long after it came out and just really, really loved it. And then once uh, this E3 rolled around and they had that amazing trailer for the new Colossus, I wanted to uh, play it again.
4: Yeah, that, that uh, second trailer is, I, th- I think what sparked a lot of our... Our mm-hmm. intrigue here, uh, Caleb. We uh, we practically watched that trailer together, <laughs> and at least discussed it. Uh, what what were you, what are your initial impressions on Wolfenstein? And I uh, understand you're 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 mad at people for not telling you about this, <laughs> yeah, right?
1: A little bit, right? Uh, I, I pride myself in someone who stays connected to the video game world, and when a game like this passes me by, it makes me question. It makes me question how well I'm cultivating the algorithms that guide my life, because apparently I'm I'm not doing a good enough job of it, or it makes me question the type of people I, I hang out with who like also like video games. So I'm trusting all of you from this point forward to know what games I like and not let them pass me by, please. Um, but I, I think like a lot of you, it, it wasn't, or, or I guess I shouldn't say like a lot of you, I think probably... Um, probably like Dean so far only um it was the first person genre hasn't necessarily really enthralled me I played Wolfenstein um the the old Wolfenstein uh during school actually and in like grade school and stuff this was during a time when uh video game violence wasn't quite a huge thing yet and all of our computer teachers were really 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 old and out of touch so they didn't quite understand what we were doing and didn't really think about it so I remember playing Wolfenstein like in class it was a weird thing um, and so that was kind of my experience with, with really Wolfenstein up until uh, the New Order, and the New Order. I, I'm not huge into first-person shooters. I enjoy them, but generally they're too much uh, focused on you know twitch memory and twitch muscle memory that sort of stuff. And I just can't. I, I, that's not my thing. Um, and what sold me on on Wolfenstein: The New Order, one obviously the the trailer for Wolfenstein: uh, The New Colossus, which I think is something maybe we'll talk a little bit more about because it's really intriguing to me that all of us saw this trailer for a game that doesn't come out yet and and thought, I really want to play the game that precedes that game, Um, which isn't something I usually think of. Usually games, uh, for the most part, are pretty standalone experiences. You don't have to have experienced the first to enjoy the second and so on, unlike movies and things like that. So um, I thought that was very interesting that we all kind of were like, yeah, we have to play this game. Uh, And then for me, it was actually Pam's comment in the forums where she mentioned that there was a focus on story, and that was something I simply just didn't know. I had no idea that there was a story at all. Um, and so when I knew that the first one had a story, and I had seen the trailer for the second one, and obviously the trailer for the second one seemed to imply a, a pretty great deal of story, um, so I was like, "Wow, if the first one is also that heavy into story." Then, man, I really need to play this first one, and uh, was not let down by by any means.
4: Excellent, excellent. And so, P P one uh, was was Wolfenstein: The New Order even on your radar until uh, until this more recent E three.
0: I, if you had said name the first person shooters on the PS4 and Xbox one, I'm not even sure I would have known that it existed. (laughs) Um, I don't like first person shooters. It's not, I don't like the space. I I get lost very easily. For some reason, all of the developers think they need to shoehorn platforming in there. Like I love jumping around when I can't see my legs. That's like, that's a thing I do for fun. (laughs) Um, so I don't play first person shooters. I just don't. And typically now there are a few exceptions, Bioshock, uh, Metroid Prime, uh, a few others, Half-Life 2, where there there is a story, and it's like, oh, this is actually, despite the fact that I'm playing in this mode that I absolutely detest, I'm enjoying this game, and I'm enjoying this world. So when I saw the trailer for New Colossus at E3, um, I have sort of a fascination with um, Nazi Germany and World War II, and I'm not a Nazi, I'm not a skinheader, and I just, I'm just losing my hair, that's all, I'm bald. <laughs> um, but, uh, thanks, Granddad. But uh, <laughs> I, I have sort of this fascination with that alternate history. There's an episode of my, my... The only episode of the original Star Trek series, other than Trouble with Tribbles, that I could even remember, is one where they go back to an alternate history where the Nazis have won. Um, the show Man in the High Castle is one of my favorite shows because of that. And so I saw this this trailer for New Colossus, and it's an alternate history where the Nazis have won. And the aesthetic of this world that Machine Games has created, it just grabbed me right away. It was... Everything looked as if it was... Potentially something that could have been invented or could have been made, and so I, I instantly. I mean, at the end they say Wolfenstein Two, I think uh, the new Colossus or whatever. And at this point, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to find out what is going on in that world. That is interesting enough to me that I will, pl- I will put myself through the first person mode that I normally don't like to see what this is about. And then, so I, I mentioned, I asked on Twitter about it, and Pam and everybody else, literally everybody else who has played this game said, you need to play that game. Um so I bought it and, and begged all of my friends to come along on this journey with me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I uh, I didn't pick it up until I had gotten your recommendation, and I figure if if it can if it can sell you on a first person shooter, then uh, me being slightly more inclined to play first person shooters, uh, it was it was certainly uh, the direction that I that I wanted to go, and I'm glad and I'm glad that I did uh this game was entirely off like i missed this one entirely like i knew it i knew that there were new wolfenstein games there was a wolfenstein game uh, a couple of years prior there were, there were ones on the original xbox um and i i remember playing the shareware version um back on on the old old uh school pcs or at the library uh but there was so yeah this this game really kind of set the hooks in right from the beginning and I I am thoroughly impressed and it's it's interesting having played later Bethesda shooters prior to this having played Doom having played a little bit of Prey before this and kind of seeing uh, seeing some of the things that that I enjoyed a lot in Doom and seeing the sort of roots of that in in here. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll get it. We'll get into design and, and gameplay and things like that. But um, let's kind of hit the story. That's that that seems to be a, a lot of people's drive, and and the thing that pulls them in is is the fact that this is not just your traditional uh, your traditional first person shooter. You as as has been mentioned, you know, this takes places, uh takes place in really two time periods. One of them being uh, in the 1940s for the first level uh level and a half and then uh and then a, 16 years later um so this is a bulk of the game takes place in the, the 1960s the nazis have won the war uh using some advances in technology which which get revealed later on in the in the game but you play uh as william blaskowitz uh BJ blaskowitz it's it's effectively the same character from the original uh the original Wolfenstein, although that one uh, didn't quite have the same kind of level of of technology involved <laughs> as, as in this one, um, so BJ has effectively been been injured in combat uh, and has sort of been in, in, in a, effectively a comatose state for about sixteen years, uh, staying in sort of a a mental or not a, a medical ward in is it Poland.
2: Mm. Yep. I think so, it's
4: in Poland. Yeah, yeah, in Poland. In Poland, and so he kind of has this moment uh, where the this at, the, at this hospital where the Nazis have basically come and taken the sick patients, uh, and uh, some of them, you know, being mentally unfit, and and you know, just sort of taking them for what we assume is experimentation, etc. cetera. Um, and it it kind of seeing all of this, and then seeing. Uh, his keepers, uh, effectively gunned down. Uh, he kind of snaps him out of this uh, of this state, and then uh, fights back. Uh, as uh, and from the from that point, this this game kind of goes it goes all over the place, off the rails. You have there's some a few. I I, I guess let me kind of hit big story points. What what were some of your favorite? Uh, Sections of the story, and if you want to tie that to um, introducing some of the some of the people, um, let's Caleb. Let's start yeah, with let's, you. Like, I want to keep
1: on the uh, the actual mental ward a little bit because I thought that that was the first point. I wouldn't say the first, but that was probably the, one of the early points in the game that made me really. I, I was sort of arrested by the direction the game was taking in terms of story and in terms of just visual storytelling as well. Up until that point, um, I could sense some pretty typical, uh, I guess, motifs, first-person shooter war game-type motifs, but this was one that felt really, really new to me in the sense that it that's that's when you really get into William's head a little bit, um, that's when you, or BJ's head a little bit, that's when you uh, you, you see the, the passing of the 16 years or so as he's sitting in this wheelchair and as he's kind of thinking through. He's stuck in his own head for 16 years, which I thought was really effective the way that they did that. Um, and it was also the first point that made me conscious of the how how fine a line uh machine games was was drawing in terms of uh believability in terms of verisimilitude of really being part of it and then also just campy crazy action game because if if you really step back and think about it someone sitting in a wheelchair for 16 years is not going to simply be able to stand up and start gunning people down it's the whole kill bill thing right if you're in a coma for that long you're not gonna be able to just stand up and kill things but because of the rest of the story was treated with such heart and it actually, they cared about it, I was able to look, look that over. And this was something, this was sort of a beat that was hit throughout the game. There were so many points in the game that in less suitable hands, I would have just laughed and I would have been, I would have thought this is ridiculous and stupid. It's just an action game. But I was able to sort of uh, swallow a lot of that. And, and because the story was so endearing and, and it kind of wore its heart on its sleeve at points, but not too much. and... It was such an incredible balance. This is a game that I'll probably have to play a few more times to really figure out how they did that, how they walked that balance without becoming across as, as absurd. You know, we'll touch on I'm sure later the whole moon aspect of it. That's absurd when you step back and think about it. But somehow it it really did work uh, when you first are introduced to Max, which I know we'll talk about characters, but you're first introduced to Max who has half a head essentially, and immediately your your sort of lifetime movie a week register is going off and thinking oh, this is the guy I'm supposed to realize is he, he's so innocent and childlike and therefore nothing he can do is bad and so he should be like sort of the clean slate that we all look to in terms of empathy and, and human uh, humanization. And so that could easily be this terrible trope that you pass, along, pass off, but somehow it doesn't end up being that way and it's just, it's incredible to me. And so, yeah, very incredible
4: yeah so the uh, the the ward itself uh, is is where you kind of get introduced to the your first major uh, nPCs that that play a major story um Anya being the most uh the most relevant at least for for bj um, Dean, can you tell us a little bit about anya sure yeah
2: i I mean I think the fact that we're talking this long about story is already a testament to how <laughs> y- you know the how well this game told it, and you know, it's it's somewhat grounded in this this obscure version of history, and uh, you know, you'll never see in in film or or literature or games, you know, a compelling World War II story with just one character being being the hero, right? It's you know, we've seen it in the old Wolfenstein games where it's B.J. Blazkowicz and he just goes off and defeats all the Nazis by himself, but in this, I think it it still retains that that feeling of uh, you know the brothers in arms that 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 feeling of companionship in in the form of the resistance and and the strong cast of characters like anya and i think anya is a, a really good example where it's not just a, a shoehorned in love interest that has no real other purpose than to drive the main character right she she has a purpose she's part of the resistance she's she's a badass you know she j- takes just as many risks as, as Bj does, and I think that went a long uh, way in, into that emotional investment you had with this character. So she was essentially taking care of of, of Bj, and then uh, when he he got up, he he realized that you know she's part of this resistance, and and they went back to the resistance hideout, and they met up with all the other characters, some of which we've we've mentioned, like uh, like Max, but uh, other ones like Caroline Becker and and Klaus and and you know, Fergus Reed, who in my opinion is one of the best characters in any first person shooter. I I absolutely loved, uh, his Scottish humor and, and just him as a side character helping move the dialogue forward.
4: So Fergus, Fergus is an interesting, an interesting, uh, character to bring up because not everyone, uh, had Fergus in their, in their playthrough, right? There was a major decision early on, uh, between him and another character, um, Pam, what what which direction did you go in that in that decision? Did you I pick saved, Wyatt or did you go Fergus?
3: I saved Fergus. I uh, I meant to when I was playing it through again just recently to choose Wyatt, and then I just uh, forgot about that. I guess so. I ended up with Fergus both times.
1: I, did, I chose I, I chose Fergus, or I chose Wyatt, and and <laughs> the interesting <laughs> reason, perhaps the interesting reason, is because. I honestly looked at Fergus and I thought, well, he has one eye. He's he's going to be a, a a weight the whole time. So uh, I'm just going to go with Wyatt. Like, so I, I almost had this weird like, <laughs> I don't want to say like empathizing with the Nazi sense of like superiority, and you've got to figure out like what's practically the most the bit most beneficial. But I'm like, no, I'll take I'll take Wyatt because he's he has two eyes. I don't you feel good a- about that decision, but <laughs> you know, I
3: did. <laughs> I had a pragmatic view on it as well, but I was like, Wyatt's kind of a. Pansy, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's unseasoned. Whereas Fergus, you know, is uh, is already trained. <laughs> That's true. That's true.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was worried about you- uh, about escort missions. I was thinking, well, if if I take this guy along, I'm going to have a whole lot more escort missions than I would with with Fergus. So I avoided it that way.
4: Yuan, how did you make that choice? I uh, Fergus,
0: in if it was me and I was Fergus or I was I would want to be the one selected. Um he's a sergeant. He's supposed to keep his men safe. We it was his job to keep Wyatt safe, so he was the one that had to go.
4: Fair enough. I went I, I went with Fergus as well. Um or I I, I
0: killed him. I killed Fergus. Him. I saved Wyatt right. I killed Fergus.
4: Oh, I I was I was referring to the other guys. They um yeah, there was something about he the whole intro encounter with the airplane and him kind of getting me through that. I think I felt more invested in him surviving because he managed to help me get through that. Uh, yeah. But why it helped, why, it, why it helped lift you up over well, one cliff. Th- once, one cliff. So, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, one. <laughs> time. Uh, yeah. No, so I, I imagine I'm,
2: there's, there, there's like a, a canonical version of this. So, right. Like you, you do have the the choice to select, but uh, jumping into the second trailer, uh, New Colossus. I mean, Fergus is there. So is, like, how does that work? Is it is it that Fergus was sort of the canonical choice to go along with, and and why it was just sort of an optional? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I think don't. so. I haven't heard anything official, but it does seem. I noticed that too. It does seem that there has to be a canonical choice there. Um, I would I would assume the better choice or the better decision would have been to not include either of them in the in the sequel. Um, but I'm also not a brilliant story writer that Machine Games obviously employs, so there's gotta be a good reason for it. And it seems like that would be, although it could be one of those things where, you know, maybe the brain of Wyatt, which uh in in or the brain of Ferguson, which in my playthrough was part of the final boss encounter, maybe that is uh not all it's cracked up to be in the same way the final encounter with BJ Blazkowicz isn't all it's cracked up to be in how we get a sequel. So I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Hopefully we'll find out, maybe not.
4: Potentially, yeah. So
3: it could be something like Mass Effect, where it just asks you at the beginning, "Who did you save?" and then either of them could be in there, depending.
0: That's true. Yeah. I, that's I true. suspect that's probably the most likely. I don't I don't see them forcing a canonical uh, playthrough on us. Otherwise, why give us the choice? You know, um, if they're gonna carry that character, these guys are they're clearly masterful storytellers, Bethesda uh doesn't just publish shit. So if <laughs> if they're going to... if For us to have one of these characters in the next game, I can't see it possibly being a situation where you don't have to select or read your save file or whatever, which one you... It'll probably just be a selection. So that way mm. new, newcomers can play it. Because, it, yeah, otherwise it means I have to play the whole game again and choose the other guy, listen to that terrible accent. Ugh. <laughs> no,
1: or I'm you can kidding. probably take that choice as the... As the choice was meant to be in, in that it's pretty non-consequential, uh, you know, either one would have been fine. And so they just randomly yeah. chose one to be in the sequel and go with it. I think in terms of gameplay, I think the only difference is that don't you get health benefits if you save Fergus, but you get armor benefits if you save Wyatt. And that's kind of it, I think, or maybe one. I think one of them has a lock pick or something <laughs> like that.
3: Yeah, Fergus, you do like hot wiring locks or whatever, and then I think the other guy you do lock picking, and then one of the um comp- one of the resistance members is different depending on who you select. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Did anyone else find the the mental health hospital and their alignment to the resistance almost too coincidental? Um, in the sense that I'm trying to think of like how. An alternative history would really play out. Uh, you know, the, if the if the Nazis had won, um, would their uh, control over the world have happened as quickly and as all-encompassing as it has in such a way that there would be very few pockets of resistance? Or, And if that's the case, if there truly really is only few pockets of resistance, it seems kind of coincidental that this mental hospital happened to be one of them. Or are there more resistance fighters than we realize and maybe even more than they realize you know maybe we'll find that out i don't know
2: i think it touches on a, a lot of what happened in reality with the, the experimentation on mental health um you know people and uh, I, I would imagine in this world that most if not all of these mental health wards with with caring um you know caretakers would be part of some sort of resistance they would have some sort of resistance to this 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 nazi experimentation on their patients so in a way, yeah, 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 it is coincidental. I imagine that you know Bj would show up in in Anya's, you know, the the one that's in the heart of Berlin. Berlin. But um, yeah, I would imagine that there's larger sections of of pockets all around the world.
1: Yeah, and you make sense. I mean, the whole doctor's oath, do no harm. I'm sure that's something when you become a doctor, you don't. Generally, become a doctor only for the money. You probably also do it because you care about people. Uh, so I, yeah, so so you're probably right. the pers- the the possibility of having resistance within a hospital setting is probably greater than the general population to begin with. So that makes sense.
4: there's and also it, flavors of of a difference of resistance between resisting them taking your patients and resisting yeah, the entire movement as well. So that I mean, you it could be that they, yeah, it just he just happened to hit that cross section where where, both of those things are uh, are important to those caretakers, but yeah, it of of, of all the story points, it, that's kind of one where it's it's convenient for conveniences sake, but <laughs> but uh, the rest of it's so
1: strong that it that it honestly doesn't matter in the long run. I just, yeah, I mean, I quickly forgot about that convenience within moments. Because obviously the rest of this, it was just carried so well. So,
4: yeah, and and one of the big things that that this game kind of took that kind of, I was going to say kind of re. I mean, effectively, as a reboot of the original, right? But they the the technology that that was incorporated into the the enemies and uh, just the entirety of the game um, just. It, it, it was an interesting way to understand truly how the Nazi power could could rise so quickly, uh, and 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 you sort of get into that later later in the story as you start to meet some additional characters. Um, there's there's multiple prison break sequences, um, which were which were in in and of themselves very interesting ways to introduce story and character. Um, but we get to meet uh, set. Uh, in this, in the second one, um, which involves a breaking into the prison and then breaking out of the prison, um, Pam, do you want to talk about Set a little bit and how uh, how he plays comes into play?
3: Sure. Uh, Set Roth is a scientist, I believe, who was working on. Um, shit, I don't have anything written down. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the Dot shoot something? I don't... Sorry. I think that's
4: right. <laughs> that, that,
0: sounds yeah, right. that sounds right.
3: Uh, he was a scientist, so he was working on this sort of like Jewish science mysticism type thing. Uh, and they had uh, sort of... Designed the concrete that the Nazis were using, and the reason that they were able to build up cities and fortresses as quickly as they did. So Anya, I believe, finds out that there is a um, a weakness in this formula that the Nazis are using. So they go out to find um, Set Roth to help out their resistance and sort of hasten the decline of the Nazis in any way they can.
1: Seth so was an incredibly interesting character to me. He was um he was interesting for for a lot of the right ways and a couple of the wrong ways I thought, but he he was interesting in that he sort of plays the savant, right? The uh, the 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 centrifuge from which a lot of the action actually revolves around at least toward the toward the latter half. He was also very calm. You know, he was in this prison for so long and at first he sort of resisted BJ's help because that's what the spark savant in any story does um but he uh he also uh, throughout he, one of the ways that the game as a whole does does very well and it sets a good example of this is deliver story in the midst of action so almost as side uh, and 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 side conversation and discussion um can mean a whole lot like there was a very small part where set talked about set and bj were in the middle of escaping something so of course bullets flying and all this kind of stuff and they're having a very deep conversation about uh the the Uh, The science and and the technology that Set is about to introduce uh, BJ to, which up until this point we didn't know much about, we just knew it was something incredible. And BJ uh, and Set kind of rolls in conversations about religion into this, and so um, BJ was almost immediately taken aback by that thought oh so i'm just gonna go and find you know he didn't say this exactly i'm putting words in his mouth but essentially i'm gonna go find a bunch of people in a prayer circle and that's going to be my solution to this whole problem uh but Seth was quick to to explain to him that you know it's not religion it's science it's just that when you understand science enough you then realize kind of why people believe in religion so to speak it was this weird conversation but it was almost it was it was enough to make me realize that whatever i was going to find out and see I was going to believe that it could actually exist. Like I didn't need to necessarily know how each of these elements work. I just, I was already prepped to find something incredible, right? It wasn't just thrown at me last minute and, Oh, here's a coincidental coincidental suit of armor. That's going to allow Caroline to walk again. It was, I was kind of prepped for it in a way. And I thought that was really incredible. The, the sort of reason he worked in a way that I don't necessarily like is because he sets up my only real fear for, Uh, Part two, which I don't I won't dig into too much right here because I know that'll be proper maybe toward the end. But I fear that two is going to be almost too science fictiony. You know, we're going to have a lot of uh, the technology available to us. These 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 kind of mech suits and these suits of armor and things like that that are almost going to allow us to, you know, substitute. Bullets for lasers, and I don't necessarily want to do that, and I think the moon base in the New Order already kind of set that up a little bit. So that's my biggest fear with two. I'll stop there
4: and pass it back to whomever wants to comment on, but I'm a little scared about that. I want to kind of bring in a little bit of the 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 interaction that you have with the enemy. Uh, there, there are some, some very specific villains in this and 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 there are more than one there's obviously the the primary one is is the one who who has been named uh death's head um he's kind of the the major villain but you you come across him early on and then at the end but you have some interactions with some other characters which are some really interesting story sequences and and actually one of the first moments in this game that really kind of shocked me um P1, do you want to talk about the train? Oh, do I? Yeah. Are we going to talk about that <laughs> cringeworthy sex scene? Or are we going to talk about
0: uh, Frau Engel's uh, <laughs> questioning? Which, which part of the train are we talking about for shock? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you're on this train. Um, you're going with Anya somewhere. You're in hiding. You are no... I mean, you're, you're BJ Blazkowicz. You're, you're built like an Aryan god. And uh, you're the only American soldier fighting for the, the resistance in Europe, it seems. And you have a very, J. very
1: American accent, by the way. I mean, it's there's yeah. no running away from his accent.
0: Um, so you're on this train, and all of a sudden, these Nazis walk in, and one of them is Frau Engel. I think she's an obergre from Fjord. I'm not 100% certain, though. And uh, she's got uh, what apparently is her boy toy, booby, and um, a couple of guards in, in giant uh, you know, Nazi mech suits, it looks like. And uh, you're walking by with coffee, and she tells you to come sit down with her. And then you go through... One of the finest um, moments in gaming, just flat out, that I've ever had. Uh, she, You have to answer yes or no to these questions she has. She's going to determine based on that whether or not you're uh, of pure blood or not. Um, and it is nerve-wracking. And I don't know if there's a wrong way to answer this or if the whole outcome is just her being a crazy psychopath. But uh, it is intense. And from that point forward, it's like... Death's Head might be the overarching bad guy in this, but I don't want to run into this woman again. <laughs> and then you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but luckily, in that in that in that instance, you uh, bash her face in, um,
1: literally. Uh, so it feels a little bit. In these the seconds, the uh, in the next encounter, not on the train, obviously. Just to clarify. Yeah, yeah, that, not on the train, so. not on the train. Uh, but uh, she's the else? Great. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Did anyone else try to murder her several different times to see if there was a way you could actually end the game at that point? No, I was terrified. Just, I didn't. She said, don't go for the gun. I didn't go for the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried every button combination I could possibly think of, thinking that maybe it was like a Far Cry 4 type scenario where, you know, at the beginning of that game, if you just don't do anything for 15 minutes, you actually beat the game. And you it's basically the quickest speed run ever. I was hoping that maybe there was something in there where I could actually end the game at that point, but I didn't find anything.
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing because she's in the sequel. I'm I'm pretty sure they show her in the trailer. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she um, is yeah.
1: very clearly in. The, yeah, and her daughter I plays am. a big role apparently in the next one. Her uh, overweight yes. daughter, and I say overweight only because that is a central point of the uh, of the story apparently. So, we'll I, see. Yeah.
0: I can't wait. Is it like Fat Princess where you have to keep feeding her cake so the other guys can't kidnap
1: her? no <laughs> <laughs> apparently so. it's it's interesting because uh just uh, on that quick aside is uh she's apparently treated very terribly by her mother no surprise there but also because she is overweight she's essentially seen as uh, as less uh valuable than the rest of so she's forced i I've, i anticipate i'm calling it now the uh, daughter will end up being on your team sometime throughout the game or perhaps that's too obvious she won't end up being on your team uh, and somehow there'll be a different play play out and, uh, i think maybe in lesser hands it would have been too obvious that the daughter is going to be on your team at some point in uh in the second wolfenstein but anyway back to yeah. back to one back yeah. to the train yeah
0: but uh, she she's a great character and Booby's a great character too like i said he's her boy toy uh he clearly gets by on his looks and the fact that she's attracted to him and he he, he weirds delivers- me out he's really? super creepy he's super <laughs> creepy <laughs> oh he's not that creepy he uh, well, the, he delivers one of the one of the, the most deadly strikes to uh, to Bj. He tries to offer Bj up to Frau Engel as a, as a reward, as a trophy, and he he buries a knife in your chest, and then you you
1: respond in two minutes time. later <laughs> in two <laughs> minutes later, set uh, who sees you obviously bleeding on the ground because the perspective of the camera is you on the ground looking up a set. Set says. Ah, uh, help me up out of this elevator, BJ. Like, doesn't even ask. Doesn't even consider that you have a knife. Like you just pulled it out of your gut. Uh, this is another one of those moments where, any other hands, that's a typical action movie type exchange that would be laughable. For some reason, I'm I'm okay with it. I accept it in this game, and I don't freaking know why.
4: There was there was something that uh, you you guys have equated Bioshock. Uh, there, there was something about the uh, way that. BJ, I think against, against all common sense just was, was he, he never really questioned anybody giving him direction. I think Caleb, you pointed that out in your, in your post-game smoke review, uh, that, that he's, he's been beaten and, and stabbed and shot and, and he just keeps going and, and like Bioshock, you know, you, they, they kind of build in justification for that, but you didn't really get that justification aside from him. Well, he's going after his, his, his love interest. I think that's, that's, that's the biggest piece, right? Um, I think part of it. No, no, go ahead. I I think part of it is,
1: uh, and this is, you know, storytelling at its laziest, but at its most uh, well done laziness, laziest. So um, what, in the same way that Max, as I've mentioned earlier, is sort of this uh, this uh, bastion of, of of just universal empathy. He's this guy that can't do any wrong. He has a childlike innocence, that sort of thing. And so he kind of – he's always good, 100%. He's like the epitome of capital G good, right? In the same way, that's kind of what BJ ends up becoming. Uh, they, If you think about Max and BJ, they have very similar histories, obviously involved in the war, head injuries, Um they are big brutes. They they kind of you know can do anything physically, um, and with BJ, I think the 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 mental trauma that he had received from the shrapnel is this sort of band aid to patch up any sort of minor plot hole that may happen or any sort of contrivance. Um, and you pair that with his just military dedication, right? In the military, you're you're, you're trained to take orders, and that's kind of what you do. You're, you're, you're a piece of the of the overall grand scheme of things, and you have to sort of play your role. So him being part of the military is enough for him to kind of say, yeah, I'll do what you tell me to do. You add on to that the sort of max level uh, mental disability to some degree, um, and, and he sort of – it's almost like he has no choice but to do what they say. And and another and another example of this back to P one's comments about the horrible sex scene on the train. Um, the first, I think that was, if I remember correctly, that was the first of far too many sex scenes in this game. But it was immediately after that sex scene, I saw Anya for the very first time as someone who seemed almost conniving, like she was the way that the camera was framed and everything. She was kind of looking over his shoulder as. Um, I'm guiding you, I'm telling you what to do. And she says, okay, now get on that bus and and fight your way into the prison or whatever the next step of the uh, story was. And he just did it, no words spoken. He just kind of went with it. At that moment, I thought for a second that, oh man, Anya's bad news. She's actually going to turn on him. This is going to be terrible. Um, I'm, I'm glad she didn't because that also would have been, to my own dumb head, something just way too obvious that she was going to turn on him based on the way they set it up. Uh, the story's always zigging and zagging, but never zigs and zags too far, which I really appreciate. So in that way, he's almost set up to be the guy who has to follow orders, and he really can't make his own decisions. And throughout the game, that's really what it is. I mean, I can't think of a particular time throughout the game that he did something on his own, necessarily, except for maybe defending Anya in the mental asylum. After that, it was kind of part of the resistance plan. It was always part of the plan. Go to this helicopter, do this, grab this. Uh, everything was mapped out for him. So, I, I don't know. I see it as a way that, like, yeah, to summarize. He has to do those things because his character is built to do only those things. Follow direction. Jeez. There's two times in the game
0: where where BJ makes his own decision, and it's at the beginning when you choose between Fergus and Wyatt, and at the end when he chooses to sacrifice himself for everyone else. Oh, yeah, so you're right. Two you're times right. that he really makes a choice.
3: Mm. And even Fergus in the game, I think more than once, tells BJ, like, you were born for killing Nazis, and it's just like this is his purpose, so he seems to just go along with whatever it is. Uh, that the Resistance is telling him to do.
1: It's Although, incredible that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: No, go ahead.
1: No, no, please, please. go.
3: No. <laughs> I was going to switch tracks to the love scene.
1: So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then you can keep this interruption there. It'll be brief. Um, the... Uh, um, well, now I freaking totally... Oh. I think it's interesting that we keep talking about story, and I think Dean even mentioned this a little bit earlier. We keep talking about story, and it makes me wonder why machine games didn't simply just create a standard first-person shooter. They could have. They could have done that. They could have probably gotten away with it, probably could have sold a few copies, but it seems as though they intentionally decided that they were going to do something that didn't seem to make logical sense. We're going to make a Wolfenstein game where you care about the characters and the story. If you go back to the original game, which was part of this game in the nightmare scenario, the nightmare scene, which I thought was brilliant, you, you're reminded in the middle of this game how ridiculous the first 3D version of the game was—not the first Wolfenstein game, but the first 3D version of Wolfenstein game. Uh, you're just reminded how how kind of r- ridiculous it was uh, in the sense that it had no story. It was all about killing Nazis, and that's it. If if you went into that into that uh, game, that original game, not knowing what the swastika looked like, you'd have no idea. You're just like, oh, I'm killing these guys. Okay. So it's interesting that that Machine Games is like, you know what? We could do that, but we're gonna do so much more than we have to, which I thought was incredible.
0: This this was a, a direct sequel to Wolfenstein on the PS3. BJ Blazkowicz is the main hero in that. Uh, William Strauss is the main villain, Death's Head, and Caroline Becker's in it. It's a direct and that game mm. uh, sold mediocre and was an average score at best from critics. So I think they might have looked at that and said, we can do better. What do people want? They want to shoot Nazis? Okay, we can do that. What else do people want? Uh, they want to feel things? Hmm. How do we make them feel?
1: Uh, sex scenes. Do they want sex scenes? There you go. Here, that was was awesome, that. That I don't that
0: know. Who was that was four, because that's my freaking back.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to speak up in defense of the sex scenes. I actually really liked that they managed to stick a totally sweet romance into this game that's all about shooting nazis um i had no problems with the scene on the train actually like you could tell that for years anya was wanting to hit that which is kind of creepy since (laughs) he was like comatose for all those years but you know now that he's conscious (laughs) she finally gets her chance and i uh i liked that they managed to add that in there i thought it actually fit pretty well
1: they did. I mean, if you think about it, they did literally have to plant the seed for the second game when she has twins or she's mm-hmm. pregnant with twins throughout the most games. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, did probably you just what does
0: say plant the seed.
1: Yeah, I said literally <laughs> plant the seed. <laughs> Someone got it, um, but I guess I guess you're kind of right because well, you're very right. But I'm finally understanding um, that it's. I think what made it maybe made it what what made it creepy for me is anytime there's uh, there's. Uh, computer... Uh, it, I guess the, the physics of sex on video games just doesn't seem to have been made very well so far. Uh, just in the history of games. So anytime I see it, I'm already averse to it. But yeah, if you kind of remove that from it, it is nice that they folded in a, a genuine romance. Um, and I like that it wasn't... it. Wa- I don't want to get too much into it, but it wasn't like an, an aggressive thing where it was all about like trying to just show sex to uh, cater to just horny game players. It was... Um, if If you remember, during those sex scenes bj was still doing his internal monologue the whole time so he was still very much in his head trying mm-hmm. to figure things out thinking through things which which was important i think if you remove that then it could have almost looked like just a, another gratuitous sex scene possibly i don't know one of my
0: favorite scenes in the game um and i'm curious if there's a if there's a flip side to it, it comes from jay who is uh He's obviously supposed to be Jimi Hendrix. Um, he's in the resistance camp, and if you go down the Wyatt path, you get him. Uh, and he, he just sort of roams around and plays guitar and does a lot of acid. But there's one one scene. It's a very charged scene between him and BJ, where, you know, BJ's saying how they got to fight the Nazis, they got to make it right, they got to get back home, and he's and he's wondering why Jay's not more involved. And Jay sort of lays it out for him that back home, BJ was the Nazi because Jay's black. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's Jimi Hendrix and he, you know he talks about how him and his mother had to go in the back door to eat at the restaurant how they couldn't use the same washrooms so he makes a lot of these he makes a lot of uh, really in-depth points on on how yes right now we're fighting the nazis because they're evil and they're doing this to everyone but this is what you did to us you you were the oppressors, you know, in the past, and and BJ sort of has this moment where he realizes what's going on. Then he gets high, um, but he has <laughs> this this realization, and it's it's just this very emotionally charged scene, and, and it plays out really, really well. And I'm wondering, maybe Dean can tell us: is there any scene on the flip side with Tekla? Do you get anything like that? I don't even I don't even know what Tekla looks like.
2: Yeah, Tekla is more of a almost a comical character. She she kind of defies you know, any, any realism, um, that you, you may have seen in the game. She, uh, she's pretty eccentric. She's really good with numbers and, uh, she, she clearly has some sort of a, uh, I don't know if it's you call it a disability or, um, something, but she, she doesn't function well in social uh, aspects. So I think there's a lot of sort of heart to heart moments, but nothing in terms of, uh, that sort of depth or, you know, where it's addressing, Maybe some more taboo subjects like uh, the oppression of of black people in in America. Hmm.
1: Does she have a real life conduit? Does anyone know or a real life counterpoint the same way that Jay does with Jimi Hendrix by chance?
3: I don't think so. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was any that was that was that kind of obvious. Um, so wait, so so Jay Jay was only on the Wyatt
2: timeline
4: right, right. Mm-hmm. okay right. okay because there was, there was another uh, another black character in the fergus timeline but I and so i thought that maybe you were talking about him and there was a different connection with him Um no he's from the prison correct there was you free him you free him what he tells you to go in there oh and yeah
0: kill the tickler or whatever the guy's name was the skinner the oh in the camp generic yeah, and then he and, says go yeah. in there and kill him because he
1: tortures us. Um, He's like a Jamaican, uh, I think ja, yeah. Jamaican origin or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yeah. different guy.
4: Yeah. Okay. Okay. The other thing, let's see. So a, a couple other, I guess, major story points, and then I I want to make sure we kind of get into some of the other mechanics. Caleb, you you brought up the the nightmare, which which unfortunately I. You have a couple of opportunities to do, and both of them took me so off guard that I uh, I barely survived. I, I I didn't I didn't complete the nightmare. Um, did did any of you complete the nightmare? Crushed it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I walked like three steps and died, uh, and <laughs> I didn't get very far at all.
1: <laughs> did it all come back to you, P one? Did you just did it all just like a, like a flashback? Just- I, yeah, I've anymore. never
0: played it. I mean, this is the first <laughs> Wolfenstein game I've ever played. So when I got in, I was like, "This looks strangely familiar." <laughs> um, yeah, I have no recollection of this place. No, I, uh, I, I. Well, I mean, I played it on Daddy. Can I play now? So I don't know if that had anything to do with my ability to beat the nightmare. I don't know if the nightmare has one flat <laughs> difficulty, but I went in and uh, I, uh, I Raffle stomped those uh, those Nazi scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I liked it I thought uh, it was fun I, I would play again <laughs>
1: I thought it so was it interesting d-
4: uh, yeah I didn't I didn't make it no both times I tried so so if you there were I think maybe three opportunities I, I know there were at least two that, that you could go into it you where you went up to the bed on the, on that top floor and uh, if you if you slept then it brought you into the nightmare oh yeah yep And then, and then, you had to go through the next story mission, which then brought you back to base, and then you could go do it again. Um, This in both times, uh, just utter failure. It reminded me how much I hated the
1: fact that you had to uh, basically spam the—I think on PlayStation it was the X button—to pick up ammo. Because I remember in the original uh, Shareware version of Wolfenstein 3D, you just walked over the ammo to pick it up, Mm -hmm. and I was hoping, and I, I did that just by it all you know came flooding back and i just did that i walked over the ammo it didn't it didn't automatically make the uh, you know the ammo loading sound from my pick, from picking it up and i thought oh yeah i have to spam the x button in the real wolfenstein game that i'm playing and i don't like that so i'm hoping they correct that for for number 2 i hate the fact you have to have to press x to pick up anything
2: i think some some of the pickups are a little more tactical than for example the health uh, yeah that's true the recharge health so I think it was kind of their balance there where you, you don't necessarily want to pick up health packs all the time or armor packs. Maybe you want to, especially on Uber mode, you'd want to store those up or or save those until you can sort of get some, some body counts flooding through a doorway. And then you just have a, a little stash rather than having accidentally run over them uh, the time before. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the sequel if they keep the sort of press square to pick up or... Uh, Maybe they only do it with weapons and ammo. I don't see why you wouldn't want to pick up any weapons and ammo. Uh, and then leave the health packs for uh, manual pickup.
1: That's a good point. That That's why I'm on this podcast, Dean. Thank you. I learned something today. That makes sense.
4: <laughs> yeah, so I one thing, I, I guess, to talk about some of the gameplay, and I I, I I want to make sure we don't miss any big story points that you guys want to talk about, but I also want to make sure that we we do hit some of the other things um i rarely used cover um which was probably part of my mistake with some of this because um, i dean you you said you had played through uber and a lot of it was kind of take your time um but did you did you guys find that 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 you needed to do that or were maybe I, maybe i was taking my doom approach and just kind of going for it and 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 that was that was how it worked but
2: I think a lot of it's dependent on the difficulty like you say, um, in, in Uber every shot that you take takes off between 50 and 70 health so you have 2-3 wow. shots maximum before you're dead, there's no way you can go hand-to-hand or gun-to-gun with any of the enemies in the game from the you know the smallest to the biggest enemies, they, they will take you out so cover is essential and a lot of the cover in the game is actually breakable so it, you know even to that extent really you're peeking around doorways and walls the nice thing about uber is that the the computer ai isn't any better than it is in can i play daddy it's it's the same ai so you know peeking behind and and taking snipes of uh, you know headshots one two three even if you take five minutes to clear a room um that's how you have to go through the game so cover was essential i imagine and maybe some of the the lower difficulties it's easier to just run in and, and start mowing things down with the assault rifle i uh
0: i i performed 95 kills from cover 15 with my handgun 80 from my assault rifle and then stopped covering
1: and those are the, <laughs> the those are the two i needed to do for the perks <laughs> yeah i played on uh, i played on don't hurt me uh which for the listening audience, is one level more difficult than P1 decided to play. So if we're keeping score, which I think you should be, I'm better than P1. Uh, I was very much uh, a run-and-gun shooter. I I didn't want to spend the time to do cover. I'm just not good enough for that kind of thing. Uh, So yeah, I I went down to Don't Hurt Me. And in that case, it wasn't uh, to the point of the original... Whatever the original impetus to this entire conversation was, the, the lower difficulty Don't Hurt Me did not suffer from that thing we were talking about that I already forgot about. I just know that it did not suffer Use from that. Of Use of cover. Thank you. Yes, yes. No need for cover when you're playing on Don't Hurt Me level. It's pretty much run and gun. What level did you play on, Pam? I'm wondering if we hit all of the marks. I'm hoping you're in the middle.
3: I played on normal. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, I found... Um, I, I forgot cover existed for for the first few chapters and then when I went to look at the perks I was like oh yeah I have to kill stuff from cover so I did that a little bit but I am a I'm not a defensive player I am a run-in with the shotgun and hope for the best player so uh, I, I don't particularly like the cover mechanic. I mean, it's a little bit safer, but I I did make a lot of use of stealth when I could to sort of clear out enemies, but uh, once they had already sort of aggroed onto me, I was more just keep moving, keep shooting, as opposed to a user of cover.
4: Yeah, the way the way they built in the skill trees was was nice, because it catered to the style that you wanted to play. Um, I, I kind of gravitated towards stealth only in the times when you had to deal with commanders so for those listening uh, you'd have a a large sort of uh room and within there would be a couple of uh commanders who had the ability to call for reinforcements and if you could take them out before they got uh word that you were there uh either by you Shooting at all the other guys, or them seeing you, uh, you could basically save yourself from having to deal with waves of additional enemies. Um, but this, uh, I I found myself stealthing more in those situations. But then, um, like I wasn't using explosives near to the uh, to I guess the level that that uh, others maybe. Um, did you guys gravitate toward one type of gun or were there specific I, I guess i'm jumping all over the place was there was there a specific sort of approach that you guys like uh, it seemed like dean you were more methodical uh, yeah i was uh, uh,
2: more more of the tactical side so you mentioned the skill tree and there's there's really sort of four columns in that there's the stealth which is sort of these knife kills um quiet kills and then you have the tactical which is more behind cover you have the assault which is what i imagine some of you guys did more of the the running gun just shoot everything in the room and the demolition which you mentioned was more of the explosives and i thought it was a great way to sort of introduce you and make you think throughout the entire game if you're trying for trophies or or the perks to be creative with your kills I, i thought it was a really good way to do that and i think had the stealth tree not been there i would have used it a lot less but having used it you know, 50 times uh, for the knife kills as an example, I kind of got used to the moments in the game where that would really come in handy or with the rocket launcher, the grenades. Um, like I hated grenades, but because I had to use them so often to get these perks, I found the best use of them in sort of the narrow corridors. Or uh, uh, mentioning the AI again, there's a, a flaw in the, the enemy AI where there's some doorways that they, they can't actually enter. So by sort of running behind the wall in a room that they can't enter, you get a huge pileup of enemies and you just throw a grenade and there's five, ten of them gone. So uh, it was a really interesting way to incorporate a gameplay mechanic with sort of a learning curve um, that I think complemented the whole way through. I was obviously more tactical, um, so I used like the marksman, uh, sniper rifles, things with good zoom. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious what what you guys like to do on those skill trees and and what weapons you like to use? So Pam,
4: um, you
0: you on yeah, you go. I was just going to say I loved the stealth. I was all about it. Um I felt really sneaky. There were times Colleen would walk into the room while I was sneaking up on somebody and I would pause it and and shush her because I was sneaking <laughs> and she was like, "They can't fucking hear me, asshole." I'm doing malicious. Um and I loved it. I I thought it was great. But the the skill tree it's so I I picked this game up because I was the, the art aesthetic and the story, the potential for the story, which did eventually grab me. I loved this game. It transcended beyond just a fun of time because of the skill tree, because it wasn't just kill 30 guys, get a point, put it somewhere. You know, you had to be able to do the things that you were good at. So in order to get quick reload, you had to be able to kill, you know, whatever the things were. So it was... I mean, and it sort of has like a, maybe a Skyrim feel where the more you do it, the better you get at it. But but by making us jump through these hoops, it forced me to try things I wouldn't normally do. I, I probably normally wouldn't have done 95 kills from cover, uh, but I did it because uh, I wanted to get this because I think it's ridiculous to try and duck behind cover when I can't see my body. My ass could be hanging over from the back. I have a huge ass. Um, so... It's a lot of fun. And like the slide kills. I think you only have to get five of those or three of those. That was I was running down hallways sliding, waiting for enemies. To, like it was great. Uh, and then I started sliding in hallways with enemies. I I loved the, this this tree. And uh, so I, I but I, I defaulted to stealth because I just thought it was cool to crouch down and sneak up on guys and stab them in the neck with my knife. I thought, or throw my knife from the distance. And because I was trying to get a lot of collectibles, I had to make sure I stealth killed the commanders to unlock the collectibles on the map um because it's first person i can't just look at the screen and see what's there it takes me two or three scans of a room to see everything that's there because of that view i don't know what it is third person i can look at a room and instantly i've got everything you know but with first person for whatever reason it's like uh i turned into max you know so um (laughs) but i i love that i love the skill tree and as far as weapons go uh, I'm very visually driven. Anybody who uh, listens to, to any any podcast that I've ever been on knows that I'm visually driven. I've been called a graphics harlot. Um, so for me, the weapons they all looked cool, but the assault rifle and the uh, it was the LKW the Laser Craftworks those two mm-hmm. and that one you get to upgrade looked head and shoulders above everything else as far as a cool factor went. So I used them almost exclusively when I wasn't specifically trying to target the. Uh, the perks
1: does the difficulty do you think uh the, for those of us that played on the lower difficulty uh p1 and then myself who played on as a reminder one level above p1 uh does it make it difficult to uh is the uh is the the perks tree does it make it easier when you have a lower difficulty therefore your uh your potential for screwing up is sort of less um, and maybe Dean would be a good person to comment on this as well, because I think if I were playing on a harder difficulty level, even the even the normal difficulty, which for me would be hard difficulty level, I would be very averse to using the stealth tree uh, or I'm sorry, the skill tree the way that it's set up now. And therefore, I may end up actually hating it. But I think for those of us who played on the lower level, we enjoyed it because we could experiment and without really ramification.
2: Yeah, I can speak from the, the harder difficulty standpoint. What I would normally do is find a, an area where uh, I could kind of farm the the kills in the, the skill tree. Sort of a safe point or uh, a beginning of a level where I felt that there was enough body counts that I could quickly throw some some knives or throw some grenades and kill a bunch of them at the same time. And I would ramp it down to an easier mode so I wouldn't have to use as many or use as much ammo, right, to to kill the enemies. Uh, or they wouldn't be able to to kill me as fast, so I could just run in, uh, use the assault rifle, mow everybody down, not die, and then restart and do it over again. And that skill tree carries over to Uber. Oh,
1: okay, okay, interesting.
4: Exploits, Gene, a
2: devious <laughs> genius.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I found I found that there were areas where where if you yeah if you died, even coming back to the the checkpoint, your your um, your counts toward those skills continued, so you didn't you didn't lose the progress. So if you continue to die in the same spot, but got three stealth kills in that process, you would continue to to rack those up. Um, but yeah, Pam, you said you said you would you sort of gravitated toward assault. Um, were there were there specific sort of assault skills that you enjoyed using on a regular basis, or or was there specific weapons that that you catered to because of your playstyle. Uh,
3: well, I actually really liked the stealth in this game, which is strange for me. I tend to be way too impatient for stealth, but there were some uh, levels, like when you're going through the checkpoints with Anya and her uh, grandparents are taking you through. I did those 100% stealth, except the end when the robots came and you can't. Uh, but I found. That just because I'm not the best at aiming, so stealth is really good for me, and grenades are really good for me. I like shotguns because I don't have to aim particularly well with those. Uh, but I also just found I don't know there's something really satisfying about the stealth and stabbing Nazis in the neck. I uh, I really enjoyed that. I think my least used things were like uh, the dual wielding, which sounds really cool, but in practice just. Strikes me as terribly inefficient, so that's not something I use very much.
0: And you had to use the other tr- like I was so I was, I was dual wielding at first, and I was like, I'm not getting any. What's going on here? And why is this gun not using any ammo? I was like, Oh, I have to pull both triggers, and then I was just like, Yeah, uh, this is this is, <laughs> this is pushing the limits of my ability to game.
1: <laughs> and, it, and the kickback was, was double too. You have two guns that are both kicking mm-hmm. back, and so it was hard to aim. And yeah, I didn't do that either. Mm-hmm
4: but i
3: did
4: no no sorry
3: i I did use all the weapons especially i like the the skill trees because they also just remind you like hey did you know you could attack something this way and that i wouldn't have necessarily thought of but i used uh all the guns to some degree like i like the sniper rifle when there was a good chance to use it when i wouldn't die uh i also just really like the pistol. It's. pretty quick and efficient and it's great with a silencer yeah
2: that's one of the best pistols in any first person mm-hmm. shooter i've played I, I love that thing that and yep. the pp7 did, from GoldenEye.
0: yeah where did you get a silencer
1: at because i never found one it was the secondary mode
3: yeah
2: you
1: have to, to turn it on right directional button i think to switch over to the yeah, there's, so there's basically <laughs> there's basically twice as many weapons as you realize there was yeah.
3: like the assault rifle has rockets.
1: Yeah, I knew that. So although to be fair, I think, though, the silencer is given to you at some point in the game, whereas I think maybe the rocket launcher. Is that something is that an actual upgrade or is that just part of the gun when you first get it?
4: It's no, it's an, an it's an upgrade later oh, on. Is. Okay. All right.
1: I tried I, one I tried of to the skill either? one of the
0: skill tree things is like kill I like think it's 5 guys with a silenced pistol. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to do this one cuz the perk <laughs> was really good. I'm like, I really want to get. It. So I'm I get to the last level and I'm like, where the fuck is the sil- I did this whole game I didn't find this fucking Oh boy. I should have asked him on the, the forms at <laughs> org.
1: <www.carsusclub.org. laughs> we would have been too busy s- night, uh, stealth killing enemies with pistols to respond anyway, so that's right. All so right.
0: anybody who was wondering why I played on Daddy, can I play now? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so I think, uh, I guess to kind of close out the skill conversation and the maybe some of the gun conversation. I uh, So the moon level introduced things that I, like, I loved the laser AR marksman. Like that was, the addition of that gun changed things for me uh, through the last quarter of the game, uh, and I really, I really liked that gun and the kind of damage that it that it was capable of doing. So I found myself, especially because it it, it recharged as well, uh, just like your your laser craftworks um, cutting slash shooting uh, device. And I don't know that 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 one was was probably my favorite. Um, it, that goes. it was a It was a. i was sorry, to Caleb. The, the, the Tesla feature
0: on that laser craftworks gun, where you could zoom in. One of the upgrades was like you would zoom in, and it was a grid, and anything that was in the grid, it would target, and then it would just dump the whole charge into them. And like I was taking out the armored guys in one shot with it. I, it was fantastic.
4: I did not know that that existed. So you were on equal levels here. <laughs> so wait, what was that again? One of the, one of the upgrades. So it has different upgrades
0: for it. Uh, the 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 laser work, the laser craftworks gun. There's um, a few, a few different upgrades. I think Mm Colleen's watching something ridiculous, Um, but one of them is uh, I think it's called Tesla, and it's so you zoom in and it brings up like an orange grid. It's it's like looking at a scope, but it brings up an orange grid, and you can actually see the grids uh, changing to blue as it's targeting the people that are in the screen, and um, it will dump the entire charge of the gun into the targets on the screen. So if you go up against Uh. one of the big mech guys. And he's the only one in the target. He gets the full charge, and he doesn't miss. It's also how I got the perk of unload. You had to, you had to dump the entire charge of one of those into something without missing, and you don't miss in that mode. So,
4: I I should have read my mini tutorial when because I, I remember seeing that upgrade specifically, but I totally missed that.
2: Yeah, me should have too. asked
4: on the <laughs> on the forums at www. <laughs> 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 yeah,
2: that's, well, that's like that. I
0: didn't that know. That makes I was the game. It. As soon as you get it, it's like. It changes everything. That was so. I open with that. I, I usually park next to a battery. I I duck out. I blast everything. I charge. I duck out. I blast everything. I charge. And uh, yeah, it was. I had a lot of fun. And and when they like, they don't just die, they explode. It's like they get they get hit
4: with a Tesla cannon. So it's it's pretty cool. Wow. See, you're not the only one who learns things today. <laughs> excellent um so let's, let's see talked about let's get into yeah let's get into the sound and the music one of the things i mentioned just from name recognition was uh mick gordon uh who i think just, just before we do sound because i think sounds gonna be a sure. big one. can we talk about the collectibles
0: yes i know Dean Sorry. wanted to mention them as well and i wanted to, to touch base on those yeah. um there's so there's a lot of collectibles in this game. it's there's enigma files, which at the end of the game are enigma codes, sorry, which at the end of the game unlock different modes um, based on the ones that you find. There's valuables that you find, there's um, portraits, there's radio uh, voice recordings. And they just for whatever reason, they grab me. and I think I think it was heavily due to the fact that by stealth killing a commander, it would show you where they were. you know what I mean? So I didn't have to do too much hunting. And I, I wonder if it was as much fun to find them just looking for them. Did anybody not use the 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 fact that you could kill commanders? I know Dean, you wanted to talk about them. did you uh, did you always kill the commanders? Or?
2: no, I, I actually just used a walkthrough. Um, I, I know there was a way to yeah get the the question marks on your your map, but I, I just used a walkthrough for the whole thing. and uh, yeah, I was obsessed with with collecting everything I could. Now I won't say that I actually read through all the letters. And listen to all the recordings. Uh, but it was a, a fun little aspect that I thought added a little bit. And like I said earlier, that's what kind of got me to pick up the game, was watching you run around the castle, you know, pulling uh, pulling sword levers and opening secret doors so you can get different collectibles in there. So it's, uh, I love that in games.
0: How frustrating was it for you when I was playing that and you said, go back and pull that sword. And I was like, oh, no, I tried. I can't but I clearly could have, because when I went back, I was able to pull the sword.
2: <laughs> I, I hate Twitch, man. I, I That 30-second <laughs> delay kills me.
0: Yeah, I was, I was running through, and there was a sword, and I was, like, tapping on the point and nothing was happening, and I walked by one that was crooked, and I just didn't notice it, because I didn't notice it, but Dean had seen it, and he was like, go back and pull that sword, and I was like, no, I can't pull the swords. You're crazy. <laughs> he wasn't crazy. He was right.
1: Speaking of recordings, does, did anyone else feel the sound... The sound effect that happened when there was a new uh, audio log recording put into your inventory by Anya. It was Anya's friend or something that had these diary entries later on in the game that would get pumped into your audio log every few minutes or whatever. It was the most intimidating, scary sound ever when they were put into your audio log that every time it happened I thought like I was being shot by something or there was something attacking me. But it was no, just you have a new audio log in your inventory. It was frustrating, and I don't know if anyone else felt it was frustrating. It was, it was, it was more than it needed to be, from my perspective. I don't know. Does anyone even remember even remember it by any mean, by any chance? Did I even play this game? Is this? Is, is this we're talking about uh, Mario Galaxy, right? Is that is that it? With Yoshi
4: and right? No. <laughs> I Yoshi know and Nazis. Uh... Yoshi Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't. If, if no one else,
1: <laughs> like I'm. This is this is. I, I'm. I'm actually surprised because it was such a distraction and it was such a massive problem for me that when every when I'm met with like either I'm not explaining it correctly, or I'm just there's something wrong in my head and I need to get go consult a doctor or something it because was, it was it was genuinely a distraction.
3: It was when you were in the the water level, right?
4: It's. I think it started it there, but it's. But it, yeah. but it uh-huh. continued throughout the rest of the game. Didn't it sound like something huge and metal being dropped? Yeah, I, I thought it was someone
1: kicking in a door every time, and I was every time I would look around. Um, I have a channel that I record all my footage on 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 PS4 that I use then for video reviews later. But it's just a channel that's the only thing I use it for, and so, uh, it's all uploaded there. And if I were to go back and watch that footage, I would certainly see myself looking both ways every single time that sound happened and, and it would from a pers- from a spectator's perspective it would probably be
4: hilarious but as i was playing it, i was very frustrated one one thing i want to uh, uh, while we're talking about the audio logs uh, one of the one of the comments i wanted to make on that is i wish that it would do the bioshock way of playing while you are still in game and not having to sit on the menu to listen um, yeah. they were they were short which was nice um and you could read it if you just wanted to read it, but I wish you could have said yes, go ahead and play that, and I'll continue to move through the level because it seemed like they were they were dropping those at specific. At least it felt to me like I've made it to a checkpoint. Now let's give you this. Like you've you've made it to you know twenty percent of the way more. So here here's the next audio log, um, and and to be honest, for for a chunk there, I just I stopped listening to them because it was breaking up my flow.
1: Mm-hmm. Just yeah. a little bit. Fallout's the same way. Fallout, the Fallout games, also um, published, produced by, published, I guess, to, uh, by Bethesda, um, are the same way. So I'd be very surprised if two didn't ha- didn't compensate for that. If they had audio logs, let you play them as you are continuing to play in game.
3: Yeah, I I wish every every game would do that. Would just read it to you while you were in game, rather than having to go into menus for codexes. But uh, I really liked those. Those recordings, and I'm pretty sure that they were actually Anya's diaries.
4: Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, then where am I getting? There was a another person involved, right? They specifically, she specifically mentioned it as another name, but. How she had all of them. Maybe it's it was the other person who actually she, recorded them. Oh, I see them. what you're saying. And
3: then some of the things that she like near the end of them, as she talks about like being at the hospital or nursing and things like it. Yeah. It very much sounds like it was actually her. I think and she had been co- killing Nazis this whole time.
1: I think it was her cousin that recorded Anya's diaries. I think that's what it was. So yes, they were Anya's diaries. But her cousin is the one who actually did the recording of them and downloaded them. So that makes sense then. Yeah. Oh, well now I wish I would have listened to them because uh, it probably would have made me. It would have made They're me awesome. feel a little bit less about Anya's uh, seeming coincidental involvement in the resistance if I had known that she was actually sort of part of that resistance and and had involved herself in that for uh, her entire history. So anyway,
0: yeah. I uh, I didn't make that connection that they might have actually been Anya's because I took I just took them at face value is what she said. But uh, they were I loved them. They were great. I uh, she like. 'Cause she would be talking. And she's like, I learned today that the Nazi loves his his car. And I and I learned this as he was trying to crawl from it as it burned on the side of the road. It's
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> it was yeah. they were really grim, but they were really good.
3: Yeah, they were good. I yeah, it was really great how she's just like sort of tricking all these Nazis into their own deaths. But the the last one she does say uh, men are coming to the asylum every other week. They're taking people that have been in my care for years. I watch the man with the scars and whisper to him. So, like, wow. it's, it's her.
0: Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I must have missed the very last one then because that would have, I assume clearly, I wouldn't miss something
1: as blatant as that like a silencer. <laughs> <laughs> no, You're forgetting to consider the fact that BJ is a hot, hot mental patient. So, there's probably a lot
4: of people all over uh, BJ in that. Maybe. 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 I
3: don't
4: know. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the music and the other other sort of sound effects in general. Uh, uh, I mentioned Mick Gordon. Mick Gordon uh, did the soundtrack for the for Doom, uh, 2016, uh, and I, I think you can really see the roots of how that that game plays so much with the action ramping. Uh, as the you know the the music sort of following the the action and and you see that to some extent here, um, although I'll I'll have to admit I, except for the like menu, song, nothing really. I I didn't really have a lot stand out for me. So did did you guys sort of affix yourself to any specific music or were, or were there specific points in the game that that you sort of remember from a musical standpoint?
2: Mission um, fifteen. Absolutely, 100 percent. Mission 15 for me, that, that penultimate mission uh, where you're uh, going back to your base after it's been ransacked. The song's actually called Ransacked. That for me was far and away, I think, one of the best experiences I've ever had in, in gaming. And I tried to go back and recreate it and I, I couldn't. I think it was just one of those stars-aligned moments where the musical cues were you know, aligned with how I was playing. Uh, I had just got off of playing on Uber, so I was I was pretty skilled going back down a difficulty, and uh, I was really heavily invested in the characters. I wanted to know what happened, and it was it was amazing. I don't know if you guys remember that that mission at all, but it, it starts really? off you're you're trying to get back into your base. The the Nazis have found it, and they've kidnapped or killed uh, most of the resistance. So you're going from the sewers, and the music, the the track itself starts off slow but it escalates as you get closer and closer to your hideout and then it goes off in this sort of heavy metal riff Uh, and it's amazing you know close quarters combat so I'm sneaking there as the the music gets uh, gets louder and louder sneak behind the first guy you know cut his throat take out my assault rifle and it's like low ammo so you, you you're constantly sort of tossing aside your weapons and switching new ones think like John Wick you know just sort of running up sliding jumping up behind a guy, slit his throat, double tapping the next guy, throw a grenade down the stairs to kill the Panzerhound, run upstairs with a shotgun, killing people on the way. And this heavy metal track is, is playing in the background. It was amazing. And then the second part of the song is where uh, the lyrics come in and it's, it's really just sort of these heavy metal wails um, that I think really give you that extra bit of emotion. It feels like you're just getting everything off your chest. You're just killing Nazis left, right and center because of what they did. And I think that worked amazingly, amazingly well. And I, I've probably listened to that song 110 times since, <laughs> since finishing that game. Uh, it is on my, my playlist every day at work. It's, it's amazing. If if you ever decide to go out and, and kill some Nazis, make sure the song "Ransacked" is on your Nazi Kill playlist. It is amazing.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's going to be song that's been playing
1: as Dean described
0: his uh, his, his journey
1: there, in chapter fifteen. It's going to be easy to convict you when you have a literal playlist called the Nazi Killing Playlist. I think people are going to know kind of what you did there. <laughs> no, I think I think it was you, Dean. Did you post in the forums at cartridgeclub.org? Uh, the that particular um, item because I think I was I was prepped for it I I was I hadn't yet played that level uh, before going into it but I knew the music was going to be great and so someone had posted I think maybe it was you Dean saying hey, it was me a, yeah. yeah 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 so I was definitely prepped for it and and you're you're right I mean it was it was a unique piece of music in the in the game and that it stood out very much so I mean uh, the only other elements of music that kind of stand out to me are one just the the Jays. Uh, Jay's acoustic, electric, basically tinkering um, on the guitar anytime that you're in the hideout. That was, I think, really important to me, and it didn't really make sense in terms of the story until when you realize he's playing this electrical or he's playing this electric guitar acoustically because he can't play loud music and he really wants to. And you learn that sort of at the very end. So that was a, that was a cool way to use the music to. Cue the later story, which I thought was really cool. Um, the other element of music that really kind of made sense to me, um, or really kind of uh, worked for me, um, was uh, oh balls! I just went, I just went, I just went, I just blanked out. I'll stop and pass along
4: to whoever's next. Sorry, <laughs> Pam. What was your take on the music?
3: I thought it was good. I'm not a big soundtrack person uh while i'm in the game playing it i find it really fits the mood and tone of the game very well while i'm not playing it i could not um hum the music for you so
0: (laughs) yeah i would i would echo that so i enjoyed the moments in the game that i felt the music it fit the tone it fit what was happening like dean said it, it enhanced some of the chapters um but I, I i would be unable to if you played some now, I might not recognize it, but in the moment of playing the game, you know in the skin of b j Blazkowicz, i I really i I enjoyed it because i I remember having moments while I was playing where I was like, man, this is a really good track you know this sounds really good um but i i I don't know
1: if I would recognize them now that sucks <laughs> I did like the hint the hints of uh music that that was uh german language tracks from tracks that we would recognize so that that happened throughout you know we saw that we saw the visual assets you know we saw like the uh i think abbey road cover uh on on you know some of the various records that you could find that was one of the collectibles as well i know we're past collectibles but you could find album covers that were obvious uh nazification versions of album covers that we would know but there was also uh sound uh, songs that did that as well and they played throughout There were more Part of the set dressing itself, rather than actual soundtracks to the action itself, so you didn't hear it very often, and it would kind of fade in and out as you got closer to a radio or something like that, for example. Uh, but those were, I think, pretty cool. They they were nice little uh, landmarks to remind you that oh yeah, you're in an alternate reality. You're not in you're not playing a completely fictionalized world. You're kind of in an alternate reality that does have roots in in reality, which I thought was pretty interesting. I
2: thought that was awesome. Yeah, the Nazi Beatles instead of the the Yellow Submarine, it's Dust Blue U-boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe talk about the, the voiceovers as well, because I think this game had really every excuse to have, have really cheesy voiceovers, and it didn't. It, it had, I felt, pretty quality voiceovers for the main character as well as a lot of the supporting characters.
1: And funny too, right? I mean, uh, BJ, uh, his his sort of gruff sounding asides, his internal monologue made audible, because obviously you can't just listen to his internal monologue all the time. we're just kind of really funny. Like uh he, you know, there's a point in the game where he uh blew up a mech, a Nazi mech or something, and he just sort of casually said, you know, uh sorry I I blew up your Nazi shit. Like that was just weird things that he would say that kind of I don't know, brought some a little bit of much needed, I think, humor to the over, overall experience, which was which was pretty cool. But the voice acting itself, to your point, Dean, even beyond those asides, I thought was really, really good, really stellar. There was nothing that took me out of the um, out of the story at all. Nothing that took me out of the immersion of the story at all.
2: I think it humanized the characters a little bit more. Like normally, with a with a big character like B.J. Blazkowicz, I would never want to meet this guy. But with the voiceover, I mean, it was it was done in a way that I felt was was pretty approachable. Like I, I could go to a bar and have a beer with this guy, and have a, a pretty good conversation with him. He wasn't, you know, just all about muscles and. Well, he was all about muscles and killing Nazis, but, (laughs) but, you know, it was, it was personable in a way that, you know, I felt I could have worked with the guy in in another universe, right? Another reality.
0: I, my only gripe with the voice overs or the voice acting is that I found when I was in the missions and I had my, uh, my, uh, headset on my Bluetooth headset that BJ was wearing, um, the dialogue coming in was so low that I had to read subtitles. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't always make out what they were saying over the sound effects of the game, and that was a bit of a frustration for me. But I mean, I guess in actuality, in a nineteen sixties set of beats by um, uh, Hare would would uh, <laughs> would not have a great great sound quality.
2: Well, it's funny. I felt the same way, but I I actually turned the sound effects down and kept the music up. Um, which I think is oh, why yeah, you, Mission 15 was, was so awesome for me. But uh, it's interesting that, that you didn't, and it still came in quiet.
1: Yeah, P1, you yeah. can also press left on the controller to get a, a second type of weapon for each one of your weapons. I don't know if this is news to you.
0: All right, we're going to just a about a Caleb now.
2: Uh,
4: <laughs> I was trying to th- – the, the, the problem is to me generally like the music – like I played through Doom and I played through this, and I re- I know the Doom music more than I know any of the music from 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 this. But I I thought I liked I liked all the voices. I I liked the fact that they were varied. You had some stronger accents than others. You had for me we had the Fergus accent, and and really for me Fergus was the the comedic relief um, even more more than uh, the internal monologue was. Um, so it i found that that the vocal variety was nice um good mention on the headset too i thought it was nice how they intentionally said here's how you have that voice in your ear um whereas you know other games are 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 less intentional about that and it's just sort of you know you're clairvoyant and and know what people are wanting you to do um it was nice to have different voices coming at you too yeah sometimes it was anya who was giving you instructions sometimes it was carolyn um sometimes you know it was a nice mix and and in general i think it all it all worked well together but um
0: yeah i need to go i need to go back The resistance took turns uh being on the headset to give directions to you while you were the only person out doing things
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, that's true.
2: <laughs> what did you guys you, think of the, the credits song?
1: I thought it I thought it was R. Kelly's "I Believe I Can Fly." Like when it first started, <laughs> I, I really did. I'm not even lying. Uh, and part of me, when I first heard it, I thought it was like a remake of the you know a, a Nazi remake or something. Even though it was in English, but still, I, I assumed that they were going to do something funny with "I Believe I Can Fly" by R. Kelly. And it's weird because when I first heard it, I thought. You know what? This game was a great experience. The the people who made this game obviously know what they're doing. I'm gonna just take it for what it is and say they were just trying to add some levity to this whole game. And then when I realized it wasn't that, I was sort of relieved, but at the same time I was a bit disappointed because I'd already justified the existence of R. Kelly being in, <laughs> in the credits. Uh, but yeah, I, that's also just me being a dummy. So
4: for me, I thought I thought the. It was just extremely somber, and and you know we, we haven't really we kind of alluded to the the ending, um, you know, but not not having recently watched the Wolfenstein Two trailer aside from the first time that I had seen it uh, at during E three, uh, like I, I was under the impression, and and I I, I think I'm, I may not be alone that that you know he actually did the heroic. Hero martyr um, thing and and truly died there and so the the music was kind of reflective of that and now come to find that somehow he's still alive um, for the sequel is is I'm glad I didn't I didn't introduce myself to that mid game because that would have that would have cheapened that ending for me um, but I, f- I no I thought I thought I thought the credits were were nice it was just kind of that. Wow, you just went through a lot because that—that uh, we didn't really talk about the Death's Head boss battle, but he—that um, was a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't think I, I plan—I haven't planned that much for a first-person shooter encounter in a long time. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm gonna go this. this. Like, I, I had a full progression because I had to do it th- five or six times to get through it.
1: Only five or six—that's—that's that's pretty good. Um, oh, I was Dad. on. I was on the second uh, easiest difficulty, um, unlike P one again, who as a reminder, was on the easiest difficulty. Um, I <laughs> and I still couldn't uh, do it at all. I, I was tough. but I, I have a feeling that like in part two, I wonder if we'll learn that him being sort of reanimated was not was sort of against his will. Uh, if you'll notice in the trailer for part two, you see what looks like to be a stitching across his neck as though his head was put on a different body. And so I'm wondering if he thought he was going to die and he did want to do the heroic thing. Someone found his body mangled and was like, you know, let's put him on a new body or something like that. A new Aryan superhuman race perfection body uh, that just happened to be lying around. Uh, Let's put him on that body and, you know, run with it. And so maybe he, maybe there's a mental thing too where he feels like he should be dead and so there's sort of a uh, him wrestling with that concept as he's also trying to, you know, save America from the Nazis as well. So it'd be interesting to see. I'd like to Explore that.
0: He spent 16 years in a wheelchair and stood up with a body like John Cena. If anybody's (laughs) going to survive an atomic bomb, it's BJ (laughs) Blazkowicz. It's a good point. point.
3: (laughs) That's how I feel. I mean, he gets so maimed throughout the whole game like he gets stabbed repeatedly he gets thrown in the oven he gets shrapnel buried in his head i mean i know a nuclear blast is a, more severe than any of those things but it's not terribly surprising that he survived and post credits there was like sounds of a, a helicopter and things indicating that you know they they went looking for him
0: if Indiana Jones has taught me anything, as long as there was a spare refrigerator nearby, <laughs> BJ's
1: okay. <laughs> there is, th- speaking of Bethesda and, and all things Bethesda, there is a bit of an Easter egg in Fallout 4 where there's a uh, a kid who apparently hid in a refrigerator during the, aton- during the nuclear blast that caused all the fallout. And you actually find this refrigerator and you open it up and this kid comes out and he's like, will you help me find my parents? And that's like a weird side mission that you have to do is find this kid who's been in a refrigerator for 200 years or whatever. He is of course a a, a ghoul
4: or zombie um, by this point. So did you guys have any other thoughts on sound or impressions that you wanted to acknowledge there? If not, I think we can move on to visual uh appeal here there was a lot of uh like let's talk about we've talked about weapon designs a bit but more in function um what, what did you guys think about how the weapons looked were they you know appropriate for this alternate reality um let's start with Caleb
1: yeah I think they were fine um you know I uh it's a for me. I, I play first-person shooters so rarely, um, that I don't necessarily have the proper context to know whether or not these guns were shining beacons of Gundam in the rest of the the canon of guns. Uh, it really comes down to what they can do and what their impact is and how they can do things. And I thought, uh, you know, like the laser craft gun. Uh, I thought was pretty interesting um in that it allowed me to sort of cut through things uh, you know when I first got the gun in this partic- in this game I was my, my mind went crazy thinking of all the cool places I'll be able to now navigate into before realizing that it was actually fairly con- restrictive in terms of what you could actually cut the types of of chain link fences that sort of thing that you could actually cut uh, but that was a f- a sense of freedom that that I wasn't really expecting and I was really excited about that um I thought it was strange that they would invent a laser cutting gun and then also allow it to shoot and kill people it's it seems like those are two very disparate uh uh purposes for a a tool uh but apparently they thought it was important to make them all one um and so i I thought the looks were fine they didn't they didn't uh i didn't have any expectations i guess for them so i'll kind of cut it there and let maybe someone who's more uh knowledgeable speak to it but they were pretty satisfied you know that's all i needed
4: Dean what you think on the uh, on the look?
2: Oh, from the weapons front, I'm very similar to, to Caleb. I don't play a whole lot of uh, first person shooters. so you know the, the color coding kind of was all I needed. Uh, you know I had a white gun that's a, that's my sniper rifle. I had my big gun, that's my that's my uh, LKW. So from a, a gun perspective, I, I didn't mind. I'm the last person to really complain about sort of graphical integrity of, of games It doesn't really phase me. Um, But I did feel that the game itself was fairly last-gen looking for a PS4 game. I played it on the PS4, and uh, just I, I don't know if it was the textures or the animations. I, I just felt like it, it just really didn't capture what the hardware could do. Not that it took away from the game for me, but I, I guess since we're talking yeah. about graphics, it, it just really didn't surprise or amaze me at all.
4: So P one being the expert on graphics that you are, um, what what was your uh, what, what did you think overall? Um, was yeah. it a uh, uh, a last gen with a little bit more polish or? Yeah, you you could definitely tell this game
0: was made to uh, straddle last gen and this gen. Uh, a lot of early games, uh, well, first off, I found a lot of cross platform games don't look as good as as exclusive games, but specifically cross generational games. Um, suffer from that same thing. So, this didn't look as good as it could have because it had to be designed to also run on an Xbox 360 and a PS3. Um, it, like like Dean said, does it take away from the game? Not not really, no. Um, but you see the same uh, similar thing in uh, Shadow of Mordor. Um, that game looks like a last gen game on a PS4, but the new Shadow of War looks because it's built entirely from the ground up for this generation. Looks ten times better. Uh, and as you get later in the cycle of a, of a console, you will see that happen with the graphics, unless you are looking at games specifically made for that console. Uh, Order 1886, Rise, Son of Rome. These games designed specifically, strictly for one console in this generation. Um, they usually look pretty good until dawn, I think, as well. Uh, but the the graphics aside in this, the art direction in this is incredible. This There is... Some of the actual structures they built um, are from actual designs that Nazis had, like Nazi architects had used. This is, they had a great attention to detail in this game. Um, And the weapons and the armor and the uniforms and everything felt organic. It felt as if it was something that 16 years after World War II could have developed could have come around you know um are we going to have a base on the moon at that point probably <laughs> not but the nazis were interested in uh, getting to the moon that was something that that they that they they were interested in so uh it's not entirely unbelievable i mean come on i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have a base on the moon there's all they're also not going to have a secret underwater storage of jewish super weapons but uh the the game looked uh good it just looked uh the the, the art direction was good and I'm really really excited for the new Colossus because it's that same aesthetic but built entirely from the ground up for the current generation of consoles so we're going to have so much higher particle density
4: (laughs) and that and those particles will be used for for great big shotguns Uh, so Pam yes great big shotguns Uh, Pam what what did you think on a graphical front was this was it visually appealing to you or
3: yeah i thought everything looked really good uh i agree the sort of de- visual design of the game was great uh some of the set pieces were really good uh i liked the panzer and any sort of large robot enemies i thought they all looked pretty awesome
4: was going to bring up the 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 larger of the because you had the yeah the smaller dogs that just had the the armor on them um or the ones that had the grafted on robot jaws and then you had Mm -hmm. the big large one um the one jump scare was in level 15 um for me because they're like oh go go back to the hangar uh and all of a sudden here he comes um that was the one yeah i I, I legit jumped at that point uh, <laughs> con- confession um, but no i i I liked how it looked I thought the 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 facial animation was good um the the villains in particular um especially the ones who you know like death's head had a lot of articulation within his face um especially with all of the sort of would look to be scarring and and things like that um and then frau angle obviously has her own scarring issues as well um that was a little bit gross um but totally fitting for what you had just uh, sort of done to her um but yeah i i, I like the look um did you guys have overall did you guys have a favorite character um Villain or otherwise, or or a, maybe a favorite stage uh, of the game, Dean. I'm going to guess it was 15 for you.
2: <laughs> From a stage perspective, yeah, it was 15 for me. But characters—they're all pretty solid. We we talked a little bit about Death Said, but I think that's a—I a, think the villains in this game are awesome. You know, we we talked a little bit about the train scene, and up to that point, I had died, you know, 500 times, yeah. but I was so edged my seat at that moment where I'm picking the cards for, for what, like the, the consequences are going to be the same as they would if I I walked into the wrong room, but it it was just, there was so much uh, emotional weight against that. And, and death's head as well. He's, he's a villain that he he's doing what he believes is, is right. You know, he's, he's following it for the, the sake of, of science, right? He has a line in the game where he says, um, we will be judged not on what we destroy, but on what we create. I thought that was a really powerful line, and it's been said before that every good villain is a hero in their own
4: mind, and I
2: think Deathhead captures that that really well. So, in, in terms of favorite characters, I would say him. He's he's a really cool villain.
4: Pam, how about you? Favorite uh, favorite characters and or stages?
3: Uh, I really liked Caroline. Uh, I thought she was good as the resistance leader. I liked how the game handled disability, which is something that a lot of games just don't bother handling at all. Um, I liked uh, the scene where BJ apologizes to her, says, oh, I'm sorry, but what happened to you that you can't walk? And she's just like, it's okay. I learned how to fly. And I was like, oh, I'm not crying. You're crying. Um, (laughs) So I I really liked her. As far as stages, uh, it's hard to pick just one. There's such a good sort of. Flow to the game in general I mean what initially got me was the set piece right at the beginning where you're climbing Death's Head Fortress and you're going up that wall and you pass by windows and there's Nazis shooting at you through the windows and you have to shoot at them and there's debris falling down you have to move out of the way Uh, that's sort of when I clued into the fact that this was going to be a pretty good game
4: Caleb, how about you? Favorite, uh, favorite character and or stage or both?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I, won't, I won't try to do favorite character just because there were, there was a lot of good ones and I think I could argue the merits and lack thereof for each, each one of them, honestly. So I'll say, I'll cop out and say just the very beginning intro scene, uh, in the entire game, it, it really set this game up to, to let you know it was something different. Um, it threw you immediately into the action. You know, you're in a helicopter. You're you're trying to fight for survival, and things are going crazy. Um, set you up into it was just right in the middle of it, the heat of it. They didn't try to uh, bombard you with a bunch of story at that point. Although perhaps, possibly because of Pam's, com- Pam, Pam's comments in the um, in the forums, I knew there was story to come. So perhaps I was already primed to know that hey, this is action-y, but there's story to come. So I was willing to accept that action as in service to something that I knew was coming. And it was just a lot of really interesting action. There was a lot of stuff going around. It was sort of priming you to let you know you're in the middle of something crazy. Um, and there were even some mechanics used in that that really weren't used beyond that. Like you I think there was a point where you, I think, ah uh, kind of slid down into the nose of the plane that you were in and and shot uh, shot planes down from that nose. And that mechanic was repurposed in the turret sections, you know, the various turrets that you would have throughout the game, although the turrets really weren't used that often. at least I didn't use them that often in the game. So it was, it was this entire set piece, this entire uh, sort of intro stage with some fairly unique uh, mechanics that were all in service to showing you how crazy the situation was you're being thrown into. And that's admirable, that, that, that a developer would throw us so much work into something that lasts so quickly and really doesn't you don't reuse too much. And I always thought that was really interesting. It was the same way that um, I felt about um, Titanfall two, which was a game uh, that, that I don't think got nearly the recognition that it deserved, but there was entire sections of that game that were devoted to the idea of being able to travel through time and stop time and everything. And that, and that mechanic lasted maybe half an hour, but it was a mechanic, you know, the developers poured countless hours into to make sure it worked and you used it for half an hour and then they were like, now we're done with it. We'll move on to the next thing. And that's admirable. I like when a, when a developer knows when to use something very specific for a, to- for a story and then immediately leave it and say, you know what? We're just going to leave it there. We're going to go on to the next big thing. Um, and, I, and that right from the beginning set me up to trust whatever was going to happen through the rest of the story. I was able to forgive things that maybe I didn't quite like uh, because I knew – i was in good hands i was able to really embrace things i did like because i knew wow these guys have already shown me that they can do great things now i'm really in love with this other thing they're doing so it's kind of a cop-out but really that beginning intro scene just did crazy things for me and i really appreciated it
4: Yeah, a yeah a good tutorial framed around a whole lot of like action is 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 a great way to teach and so that mm-hmm. yeah i i'd have to agree with you there p1 how about how about you favorite uh Have a favorite stage or a favorite character? Oh, uh, the asylum stage, because it shows how evil
0: the Nazis are, uh, and you fight your way out of it to save somebody who's fallen in love with you over 16 years that you don't even, you barely know. You've been trapped in your body, you know, while she changes your bedclothes. Uh, The London Nausicaa, because it shows the power, the force behind what they have built up, and you go in as a single person, you know. Your, your buddy sacrifices himself just to cause a distraction on the chance that you might get in. And then you go in and you climb this tower of Nazi mastery. Um, and you su- succeed, assuming you, you succeed and don't give up that level. Uh, the moon, because it's ridiculous in space. And, you know, I can space jump. And that's fun. But uh, <laughs> all, I, there's all of the stages. Chapter 15, when you're back in the resistance space. Every level in the resistance space. Because it feels like these people. Just, they live in the heart of Berlin underground in the sewers, but they're still trying to make this, you know, place that they're staying feel something like home while they're fighting off the Nazis. I like every stage. I like all of it. They did a great job. Yeah, uh, except, I, for the, I, except for that underwater sewer stage. Fuck that stage.
4: <laughs> Other than that one, I, don't I will. I, I will echo your comments on the moon I, I thought that was that was nicely done um, I, I enjoyed that and it introduced weapons that I then stuck with for the rest of the game uh, whenever I possibly could uh, as far as a favorite for me I'm gonna have to say BJ is as a as a protagonist in a first-person shooter you don't get internal monologue much um and so the fact that they went to the extent of of telling story through that and understanding his perspective you know he's you look at you look at your protagonist in a lot of other games where where your protagonist is this muscled kind of uh uh, just weapon jockey and and that's that's what he is and that's what he does you don't get to humanize that that often and the fact that they did and then uh to actually you know to to then take him through all of this and then have you presume him as being dead like that's impactful and so i i enjoyed him as a character i enjoyed i enjoyed him probably most of of everyone uh everyone there Excellent. Uh, let's, let's actually move on to kind of lasting impressions and kind of give your final thoughts on the game. Um, are, are you planning on playing this again? Uh, would there be anything that you would sort of change and would you suggest it to friends? Um, P1, since you're the one who kind of drove me to choose this, uh, let's have you start with that. Your lasting impressions.
0: Uh, so I don't I don't like first person shooters, and this game um, was a first person shooter, and I loved it. I am so happy that I saw the trailer for Wolfenstein: The New Colossus and didn't turn it turn away. Um, I'm so glad that Pam and everybody else who recommended this game said play this game. We yes, we all know that you have issues that you uh, you're a very complicated individual who doesn't like games, but play this one. Um, and I did, and I loved it. Sometimes, every now and then, a game comes on that transcends the genre that it's in. And for me, Wolfenstein did that. It was—it's not just a first-person shooter. It's a—it's a fun experience that has some touching moments, some has uh, intense moments, and it's—it's it's a must-play for everyone. I can't wait for New Colossus, and uh, I might pick at the stages in between with the Fergus uh, timeline, just uh, just to see what that timeline is like, but. My experience as a whole was so enjoyable. I don't know that I want to push
4: more to, you know, I don't want to potentially diminish it. Pam, how about you? Lasting thoughts and uh, would you recommend this to others?
3: Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to others. Uh, I think what makes this game great is that it succeeds on a number of levels. I mean, on the most basic level, it is mechanically very solid. Uh, the stealth is satisfying, the gunplay is fun. All of the, uh, all of the guns feel very different. Uh, there's cool bosses, there's great set pieces, but then it also sort of subverts your expectations like BJ, is like Burly McShooty face, just like he is on in the first Wolfenstein game. Uh, but he's got this internal monologue going where you get to learn more about him. and he's surrounded by this great cast of characters that really adds some um some heart to the game. And just the whole uh, the whole pace of the game is fantastic. going from action scene to making this terrible decision in the beginning to another action scene to going to the resistance base. Uh, just the fact that, the game was split up by those sort of smaller, quieter levels where you got to know the people around you and what you were fighting for, uh, really sort of elevated it beyond the typical first person shooter.
4: Excellent. dean, let's uh, let's hear your your uh, sort of final thoughts and lasting impressions.
2: Yeah, I think i'd I'd echo a lot of the sentiments of of Pam and and p one. i'm I'm not normally a, a first person shooter uh fan i think the longer i've been in the cartridge club the more i'm exposed to these games that like p one said sort of transcend the genre and uh i I find that this game does that uh, in spades it's it's a fantastic experience i think if i were to recommend this to somebody if if you're wanting sort of just a story the difficulty levels will allow you that with with the can i play daddy uh you know you're not you're not going to be stuck anywhere hopefully uh, if you want a good challenge, you know, play it on Uber. That that is that's that's a challenge. And uh, you know, if you like collectathon style games, there's there's elements of that too. If you want, there's there's a lot of these options, the optionals that the, the game throws in, like the, the perks tree and how you wanna uh, you know tackle certain certain kills or certain elements of the game. If you want to play in stealth, if you want to play rampage style or Rambo style, you can do that. So I think there's a little bit for for everybody there. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would certainly recommend it to friends. Would I play through it again? Probably not anytime soon. Um, it it kind of wore me out. It was it was hard, and uh, you know I'm kind of I think done with the first person shooter genre until New Colossus comes in, um, because I did have quite a bit of difficulty toward the later half of the game. Um, but it was it was an experience that uh, I certainly don't regret, and I, I wouldn't trade it for for any other game.
4: Excellent. And Caleb, um, let's get, yeah, let's get,
1: go ahead. Yeah, to carry on kind of what Dean said a little bit, um, he mentions a lot about the variety of the game, right? That there's uh, cl- there's elements for those who love collectibles, collectathons. There's elements for those who just love a good run-and-gun shooter. And what I thought was interesting about this game, and perhaps is, is representative of many first-person shooters, and I'm just ignorant to that fact, is that I don't feel like that, you're missing out on any of the other elements if you decide to ignore those elements, which was interesting to me and something I feel um, possibly other games wouldn't be able to do. So, if I were the type of person who didn't like collectathons, uh, knowing that this game has a collectathon element, does that mean I'm going to be missing out on something if I don't per- pursue that collectathon angle? And I'd say no. The answer is no. Like, you're still going to get a solid, great story if you do that. Um, if you're the stealth type shooter, or if you're the uh, the person who enjoys a very strong difficulty, uh, like like Dean does, am I going to miss out by only playing the uh, the earlier difficulty levels or the lower difficulty levels? The answer is no. You're not. You're still going to get a very solid, great game, and I really appreciate that. That it is able to cater to a lot of different demographics, a lot of different audiences without uh, sacrificing any of them. Which very very interesting to me. Um, would I play it again? Uh, the answer is no. Only because I'm not the type that would replay a game. It, it it takes a it takes a very unique type of game for me to actually replay it. In fact, the only game that I think I've replayed in recent memory is Fallout Four, um, and that's only because I'm a Fallout nerd. So, uh, it's it's a personal thing that I, I the reason why I wouldn't replay it. But that's not a a statement against the effectiveness of the game itself. The game is fantastic, um, and I definitely recommend it uh, to anyone who who loves first person game. Oh. Everybody's already said
4: it before. Yes, play the game. Yeah, I, I I think you guys have all put it very well, and I will just say again, yes, one hundred percent. Go play this game uh, if you are if you are or aren't a fan. Um, if you enjoy historical fiction, um, this is a you know, there's a great alternate history here. Um, I I think that it hits. Um, it hits on everything that it puts out there. And I think it does a great job. So yes, highly recommend from, from me as well.
1: Is the new Colossus a day one purchase for everyone here on the podcast? I guess I want to ask that real that,
4: quick. That, that day one is going to be a tough day one. There's a lot coming out that day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My only hangout. So I would like to say, I want to be able to say yes. Cause I like to speak with my wallet. When something I believe is good, I like to reward the developers by buying it as close to full price as I can. Uh, example, near automata. Um, but I also like to let them know when I think, hey, maybe you're not putting out enough money and waiting, like I did with Order 1886, I got over $10. Um, I want to say that, yes, I will pick up New Colossus on day one, but I know that it'll be $40 cheaper in six months. <laughs> yeah. So the question yep. becomes, did I enjoy the new order enough to pay full price for the new Colossus? Um, so I'm still up in the air. I do have it currently pre-ordered. I got it. Uh, I do have it pre-ordered right now. Uh, we'll see though what happens.
3: I do will get it day
4: one. Sorry. You will. <laughs> oh, that's, thank you. Um. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough day. That's the day that Mario Odyssey is scheduled to come out and uh, AC Origins as well and Stranger Things Season 2. There's a lot going on that day. <laughs> but uh, I, I I, hope... If things align, yes, I, I, I would definitely play it on that day if I can. Whether, whether I buy it or I go rent it and then play and then actually purchase it later for other reasons... I want to play that as quickly, as soon as possible. Let's just say that. Of
0: the games coming out on that day, this is the one that I am the most excited for. Um, It trumps Mario, Assassin's Creed I'll never buy. I will never, ever, ever buy it. Um, And I never played Life is Strange. But no, this is the one that I'm most excited for on that day. So it's not like I'm not going to get it because I'm going to get Mario. And I might not get that either. Uh, I probably won't actually get that day one, but... I don't know. It's tough. I really want to. I really, really want to. I just don't know if that hype is still going to be there when it comes. But it's already pre-ordered, so maybe I'll just say yes.
4: <laughs> now, if they had Dina. color-changing cups like Splatoon. <laughs> it changes from a Nazi flag to a not-Nazi flag. I like true. how you all the... have those. Just there's only two options in, in your
1: that. binary like, future. Like, it's either Nazi or not-Nazi.
4: Oh, that's it. Okay, Dean. How about you? Are you a uh, as close to day one as possible? Purchase?
2: No, you know I uh, just kind of as a rule I, I never I've never pre-ordered anything in in my life. Uh, never. Uh, it takes a rare type of game for me to even try to get out there for day one. Um, this will be probably a day seventeen or probably a couple days after p1 streams it uh but aside from that I, I wouldn't be going out i mean it's two hours to my nearest GameStop. it's not like it's sort of readily available i can just go line up with with everybody else so i will probably wait to see some reviews wait to see some streams and if i think it's worth the 60 dollars, then i'd take it if not i'll wait the four or five months and get it at 20 bucks
4: All right, so that is, uh, I, I guess we can kind of put a, a bow on that. That's all of our thoughts on uh, on Wolfenstein, the New Order. Uh, P1, do you want to take us through what some of the community had to say?
0: Yeah, so that, that, that was our thoughts, but that's not all the thoughts that the Cartridge Club had. Uh, every time we do a game of the month show or an extra, uh, like this one is, we ask for a three-word review from the community. So you can have your three-word review read on the show simply by... Tweeting a three-word review um, with the hashtag CC3WR, uh, so I'm going to go through some of those now, and then we'll get the ones from our guests. So, guests, if you don't yet have a three-word review, this is your chance. Um, first up, it's Rocket Sauce. At its Rocket Sauce says, "Now play Doom." Um, <laughs> I probably won't, but thank you for the suggestion. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Doom doesn't have the same story beats as Wolfenstein; that it's probably just more. Let's kill some aliens. Um, but if I'm wrong, somebody please let me know.
1: Yeah, they're uh, demons. demons. Julian yeah, they're <laughs> demons. There, oh, they're demons? Oh, <laughs> so I'm already quite demons. wrong. <laughs> less less story, but I will say this. I, I, am, I am equally as averse to most first-person shooters as you are, P1, but Doom pleasantly surprised me. It was actually incredible amounts of fun. So for what that's worth, there you go. All right, I'll, maybe I'll...
0: Watch the Easy Allies review again. See what happened. <laughs> you did that one. <laughs> uh, next up, Julian Vega at JJ nineteen eighty six two thousand four says Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Julian likes to shoot things. He is a first person aficionado. Josh Leslie at Frantic Society says shooter with character, which I think was echoed by everybody on this show. Mighty Q Dog at Mighty Q Dog said best Wolfenstein yet. Um... I don't disagree. Granted, it's the only one I've ever played. So by default, it has to be Fluck of nerds at Fluck of nerds said all clear feels, but not entirely certain what he meant by that. But uh, maybe he can clarify on the forums at www.crashersclub.org. I'm going to skip Pam's because we're going to ask her for hers in person. Uh, Dave Hannum at Hannum 30 die Nazi scum. Second to last, we have Retro Revolutions at Retro Faith Games, and he says a really great game. And the last three-word review from Twitter is from VG Collectaholic at VG Collectaholic, and it is uh, emotional credits music. So that is what our community thought of uh, Wolfenstein: The New Order. So now I'm going to ask our panel. We will start with Dean, a veteran of the three-word review. Dean, can I have your three-word review for Wolfenstein: The New Order?
2: solid Tarantino-esque fun
0: oh that's a really good yeah 20 minutes of dialogue punctuated by a gunfight that is
2: very yeah
0: um, hmm. Pam your three word review please
3: FPS with heart
1: excellent and Caleb I, w- I was unaware that I was supposed to participate in this so I'll, I'll think of one real quick uh, story trumps killing
0: Hmm. Yes, yes, true. It does. Uh, Musty, your three-word review for Wolfenstein: the,
4: the New Order. Fired all cylinders.
0: Oh, I like it. And uh, lastly, I will say, stab those Nazis uh, for my three-word review because <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank everybody on our panel for being here. I want to also thank the listeners for making it through the show. Uh, we appreciate all of you for for coming. Uh, One last time, we'll get everybody to plug themselves. Dean, where can we find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me on any social media at Round2Gaming as well as over on the forums doing blogs, administering the website and uh, the forum posts.
0: And Pam?
3: You can find me on YouTube. My channel is called Cannot Be Tamed or you can find my podcast Media Mavens anywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: And Caleb. I am uh, Caleb J. Ross everywhere. I'm most active on Twitter, but
4: probably most informative on YouTube. Musty. Uh, So you can find me pretty much everywhere. Just look for Musty Hobbit altogether. Um, Second Breakfast comes out every Thursday. So keep an eye out for those videos when they come out. For a second
0: there, I thought you wanted all of us to say Musty Hobbit when you said all together. (laughs) (laughs) and I'm player one Uh, you can find me uh, at the cartridge club www.cartridgeclub.org or on twitter at cartridge bros thank you very much for listening CC Unite